0: First to the party, and last to leave. What do you say we party together? This is Sportsnet Today. Sportsnet 590, The
1: Fan.
2: Sportsnet Today. Sportsnet, Bob Naughty, the fan, George Russick, Matt Marchese here for the next three hours. As usual, we have a busy program. Luke Fox, NHL writer for Sportsnet.ca, will join us in about 30 minutes. Tee up the Leafs and Penguins tonight after Toronto loses to the San Jose Sharks last night. Brad Fay, Raptors host for Sportsnet at 10 o'clock. Raptors with a big win in Boston over the Celtics. Scotty Barnes shines. Josh off. radio play by play voice for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Join us at 10:35. Tee up the Penguin side of this Leafs-Pens game tonight. Jordan Dejani, NFL writer for CBS Sports at 11 o'clock. Scott Laughlin, host of NHL Morning Skate on Sirius XM NHL Radio. We'll look around the National Hockey League at 11:30. And Matt, good morning. Um, It's hard not to be a little negative when it comes to the Toronto Maple Leafs this morning.
3: Uh, I would, I would agree with that statement, George. The thing, the thing that gets me is obvious. Well, it's may not, it may not be completely obvious, but because there's multiple facets of their game that just aren't working right now. But the obvious thing is the offense right now, because that's what we expect. We expect them to come out. We expect them to score, you know, four goals a night and, and create a ton of chances. The one part of it that just isn't happening is obviously the goal scoring, but they're creating chances. they they've outshot every team in every game this season. They just look like there's something off. And the thing that I look to at the start of the season that looks off and it's only been two games that they've played together, but Nick Ritchie does not look like a fit on that top line right now.
2: Yeah. Did you see how, um, or did you hear or see, um, if you watched the post-game uh, media availability with head coach uh, Sheldon Keefe, did you see how snippy he was when asked about um, the laziness of Nick Ritchie post-game?
3: I, I did, and, you know... I I understand Sheldon Keefe's frustration just with everything. You know, especially after watching All or Nothing. Like you you see the type of coach that he is because it's one thing to see what we see, you know, in post-game media availabilities and and, you know, in radio interviews, TV interviews, whatever. But when you get to see him behind the scenes like this is a passionate guy and and I think it's, you know, it's only 5 games in, yes, but it's it culminates in frustration because he knows that this team just in general, whether whether it be the play of Nick Ritchie, whether it be the, you know, the, the lack of offense from Mitch Marner or whatever that, you know, it, you get frustrated when guys don't perform at a certain level or that your team's just not winning. You know, Jim Ralph made the, the comment on the broadcast last night. You couldn't tell which team was playing three games in four nights last night. And that's a problem. So right. I understand his frustration. but I, I don't think it's just about one player specifically. I just think it's about the overall um, team game right now. You know, like Nick Ritchie gets caught out of position on, on the Carlson goal, which ends up being, you know, a big problem for them. Um, certainly not the only one, but I understand the frustration because as, uh, you know, the fans are, are frustrated with the results as well. This is, This is a great regular season team, George. That's what we've been talking about. Certainly hasn't started out that way.
2: Uh, I'm workshopping a uh, Twitter poll question right now, and I wanted to do this on the air with you because uh, frustration, I think, is a bit of a prevailing theme this morning when it comes to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, What has frustrated you the most so far this season for the Maple Leafs? I have three right now. Tell me if I need to add anything or delete something. Nick Richie's on the list. The power plays on the list. And Hutchinson's still getting starts. Do I need to uh, add something? I I don't think so. Well, the the concern
3: is just the offense in general, but I don't I don't think that that's I don't everybody's going to say they're going to get they're going to come out of this. So that part's fine. But those three, yeah, I would say that those are probably the three three biggest things and you know what I I like that you brought up the Hutchinson thing because what did we talk about last week George you know if the goaltending stays healthy they're fine but if Michael Hutchinson has to make starts for you which he inevitably is going to then you have a problem and clearly they have a problem when he has to start you know this early in the season
2: (sighs) okay um I I know Michael Hutchinson's a a whipping boy in this market, and sometimes deservedly so. Letting some goals in that just shouldn't go in at the NHL level. He is a third string goalie, and I don't want to crush a guy who's just trying to make a living being a professional athlete. And it's not easy being a guy who's up and down trying to fight for a spot in the National Hockey League. But God bless Michael Hutchinson. This is the fourth year here; he's been in the mix with this franchise. The Leafs can't find anybody in their system. They have nobody in the last four years, really, that they can have up here as a as an option, as a third goaltender. Like, Kyle Dubas hasn't solved the third goaltender on this team. Yeah, I know he had uh, Farmer in the Arendelle uh, for a little bit there before he was gone. Sure, that's the only thing he's essentially done in, what, four years here as the third goaltender option? Like this falls on the general manager, find somebody that's or develop somebody. That's their, that's their job. It's not like this is the first year we've been doing this here in the city. It's year four of Michael Hutchinson getting stars for the Leafs.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a real problem. And, and I, I agree with the sentiment. You don't want to, you don't want to hammer down on a guy who's just trying to make a living here. But the criticism at this point is warranted. You know, the, uh, I think it was the couture goal where the guy came around the net like Hutchinson wasn't even near the position that he needed to be in the, the Meyer goal goes right through him. Like that kind of stuff just can't happen. And, you know, it's one thing to say, well, the Leafs only scored three goals and it took them until the third period to score the third one and blah, blah, blah. And they're out shooting teams, but not scoring. But at some point you got to get a save. At some point, the goal, like you may need your goalie to stand on his head every once in a while because the offense isn't going. And I understand that you know the goal scoring hasn't been there to start the season. But my God, you need to step up in these moments. And a guy fighting for a job at the NHL level needs to do that to stay at the NHL level. And that just hasn't happened. And like you mentioned, it's been four years. This This is the ongoing narrative. I said it last week. If you are going into the season with Jack Campbell and Peter Morazic as your two goalies, two guys that do not play, you know, they can't stay healthy over the course of a full season. Well, guess what? You better have somebody waiting in the wings that is a competent NHL goaltender, even if they have to ply their trade in the minors for, you know, 30 game stretches or whatever. But you need to have somebody that you can count on. And that just hasn't happened. Like, this is a real problem. You know, we, we you talk about goaltending depth. Yes, some organizations have it better than others. You know, we, we think about, you know, Columbus has been able to develop goaltenders. They have, you know, they had Bobrovsky and then they moved on from Bobrovsky, but they had Corpusallo and they have Merzlikins. Like, th- that's goaltending depth. You talk about the, um, The Washington Capitals had Braden Holpe, but they also had Ilya Samsonov. Oh, and by the way, Vitek Vanacek is pretty good too. This is the type of thing that, you know, and and I haven't been overly critical of Kyle Dubas because I think he's been a good job, but this one is a stain. This one is a problem because especially when the offense isn't going, you need your goalie to make a save, and that just didn't happen last night.
2: I was thinking about this uh, watching the game last night and just getting ready for the show this morning. Do you still think there's some residual hangover from the loss to the Habs? Because I feel like this just, there is a little bit. I I just feel like it's, it's still there and through this part of this season so far, Mitch Marner just doesn't look like Mitch Marner.
3: And Oh, I, you know what, George, I'm glad that you brought that up because when, when the, and again, I, it's early days, but still, you know, in the early days, this is where the elite players really put up points. That's the other mm-hmm. thing too, that it, it goes it, as much as it can go one way where you're not putting up points. The elite guys are putting up points. Like I'm not comparing Mitch Marner to Connor McDavid, but Connor McDavid has a billion points in his first five games.
2: It's like easy it's, to play right now. Yes, always bet the there.
3: over. Always bet the over in the early games, George. Um, but in that case, and I understand he hasn't been with Austin Matthews. They've only played two games together because Matthews was hurt. But Mitch Marner is a player that you are paying to be able to play on his own if he needs to. Like, that's a lot of money that you're you're spending on a guy that needs to step up and and be something. Do I think there's residual effects from the... From the playoffs, absolutely, I do. You, I think you can see it in the game. What was the prevailing theme in that in the last three games of the series or two games of this? No, three games of the series. At least not score. Yeah. And guess what? It's carried over into this season. You know, they've been getting decent goaltending, and they can't score. So that, to me, means that there is a carryover. There is there are issues here. When you know when we talked about it last season. Especially at the end. it when And I love Jason Spezza. He's actually one of my favorite Leafs to watch. But if Jason Spezza is your best player or one of your best forwards, then there is a problem. William Nylanders carried over his play from the playoffs. I think William Nylanders looked pretty good. Hmm. But other than that, you know, it, it's not... It, they just look really out of sync right now, George. Plays that you think that they would normally make, they're not chances that they would normally capitalize on they're not I'm not in panic mode after five games but when you have a San Jose team that's coming in and albeit they've looked a lot better than they did last year who's coming in in you know playing three of four and you look like the flat team and you haven't played in a few days there's some real issues here so we're gonna see what happens tonight because again it is the back end of a back-to-back against Pittsburgh tonight but Pittsburgh is broken right now. They've got injuries. They've got guys in COVID protocols. I don't care if they played last night, the Leafs, there are no excuses. They have to come out and they have to beat down the Pittsburgh Penguins tonight.
2: I've had this feeling and I don't think I'm the only one and maybe I'm um, misreading the situation, Matt, because I'm here in Niagara Falls this whole time during this pandemic and you're closer to the heartbeat of Leafs Nation there in the GTA. But, I know there's just that residual hangover to me is still there, and I think it's still there even during the off season. Where Leaf fans definitely weren't excited heading into the off season. There's still a ton of bitterness, and some of the moves Kyle Dubas made. Although I liked some of them, I re- I really liked the cautious signing. I think he's a guy that played really well in Anaheim and stretches before he had to deal with injuries, and he scored last night. I wasn't crazy about the Mrazek signing. Uh, Even Nick Ritchie seemed like a good idea at the time and Michael Bunting, Uh, especially Nick Ritchie, a guy with size and you'd think he could fit maybe uh, on this team a little more, but, just the off season and how fans are still bitter over the way the season ended last year after such an incredible regular season going out in the playoffs like they did against the Habs and the start to this season as well and maybe that's carrying over to I know somebody threw a jersey on the ice at the end of the game last night which is way too early to throw jerseys onto the ice just calm down just slowly throw roll a little bit if you're a fan yeah you want to chuck your jersey on the ice by all means if you can if you get past the netting and you want to chuck it on go ahead at the end of the game But I just think that there's a lot of apathy here for the Maple Leafs, and it's weird, and they're not even selling out games. Matt, if you would have told me in the middle of this pandemic where we're watching the Leafs play in a bubble and uh, no fans are allowed to go into any of those games, how many Leaf fans would die to go to games? I just... they're, They're not even selling out games, and there's plenty of seats available. I just... I just think it runs deep right now with a lot of the fan base that they need to see a lot more from this group to kind of get behind them. And I don't think we've experienced this in a long time in this city.
3: So this can go one of two ways here. Uh, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick talked about it this week on uh, the Jeff Merrick show uh, live from 12 to two every Monday to Friday, just in case everybody, anybody missed it. Um, But they talked about that with, I believe it was Montreal and, the, the tickets are sold, but people aren't going. So isn't that worse than tickets being unsold? The fact that pe- they were actually bought and paid for, and people are like, I'm just not going. Now, could it be uncomfortability with going to the games and being and, and not being able to maybe find somebody to go in your place? Maybe that's the case. But if people aren't going because they think that the team sucks... And the tickets are paid for like, imagine being in that situation, George. Now, some, some people that have those tickets have more money than we can ever dream of. But the point is this, you are basically throwing away your money for entertainment because the team that you have already paid to go see sucks. Like that to me is a, is a frightening, frightening thing. And I think there is a boiling frustration here with this fan base because Listen, George, it, we could talk all we want about 67. They haven't won a cup in a billion years, whatever. That That is, you know, they talked about, like Kyle Dubas talked about, it. We, don't, we don't wear that because how many of the people in the organization were even alive when that happened? Fine. But it's the boiling frustration that this organization has not won a playoff round in God knows how long. And I wonder if the fan base is finally just starting to say, you know what? Until you start to show me, then maybe I'll spend my dollars elsewhere. Because let's not forget, you know, with the world starting to reopen again, where people are allowed to travel, where people are able to go to concerts, like entertainment dollars are going to be spread to different parts of your, of people's lives. It's not just about going to a sporting event anymore. It's about being able to spend your entertainment dollars elsewhere. And if the team's not good, guess what? people are going to spend their entertainment dollars elsewhere not that mlse is is you know crying poor because they're not but the point is is that if people see that like maybe there is a residual effect here where people are just going you know what i'm not coming back until you show me something better
2: yeah it's it's i, I don't know it 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 feels weird and there's still a lot of anger and the poll question i got up right now at russicksn sn 590 at Matty mar 89 Uh, The power plays, uh, the number one source of frustration right now, 50% over Nick Ritchie and Michael Hutchinson getting starts. But there's a lot of hatred out there for Mitch Marner, stuff like uh, he's absolute trash, uh, refusing to battle, making awful, awful pass selections and generally, uh, generally killing every play he's a part of. Maybe his wallet is too thick. I don't know what's going on. And he's always, he'll always forever be attached to his contract, right? Cause Leaf fans for some reason can't get over the fact that he makes that much money because it's, it's killing the cap. Okay. Well, the guys, you know, he finished top five in scoring last year. What is he supposed to make? Like, is he supposed to take a, a giant pay cut to help the Maple Leafs out? I, I never understood that because if that's you or if that's your son, uh, you want him to make as much money as possible. Just put yourself into that position. But Mitch Marner is turning into public enemy number one here on the Maple Leafs. Is he not? Like, can you, can you think of a guy who people have, uh, he, he, <laughs> before it was like, you pick a specific defenseman on this team and that's the one everyone picks on. And that's what leaf fans have done for years and years and years. You think of the days of, of good old uh, Larry Murphy. And you think of Cody CC recently here on this team, how leaf fans pick a defenseman and all of all sudden uh, just pick on that guy. And he's, he's the big problem on the team. I'm not seeing that on this team right now. I'm seeing everything towards Mitch Marner, who is arguably their second most important player on the team.
3: It's always the contract. Like, we, you know, Jake Gardner, Dion Phaneuf, you mentioned Larry Murphy. Like, it keeps going and going and going. I I don't – I'll never rag on a guy for his contract because, George, if somebody presents you a $10 million contract, are you going to say – you know what? I think I'm worth I think I'm worth eight, actually. I, I think I'm good with eight. Like nobody says that. You'd leverage, be an idiot to say that.
2: Leverage is a beautiful thing in life to have.
3: It it really is. So I'm not gonna rag on a guy for his contract status, but I will rag on a guy for just not playing. I, I if Mitch Marner made eight million dollars and at least had two million dollars more in cap space, you'd still be on him because he just hasn't played well enough. You know, we talk about being on Nick Richie. Nick Richie makes peanuts compared to Mitch Marner, and everybody's bragging on him. So, mm-hmm. this whole notion of, "Oh, well, he makes 10 million dollars. He's got to Yes, he has to he has to play better in general. Forget what he's making." Right? And and that's the problem that I have with that whole narrative. Is Mitch Marner public enemy number 1? He absolutely is public enemy number 1. And 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 not far behind him is probably going to be Kyle Dubas at this point. And, you know, we, we talk about the Leafs being, needing to be a tougher team to play against, and, and who knows what happens come playoff time, but you got to get there as well. You know, as much as I've said, I still think that they are a lock to get into the playoffs. It's not going to be easy. I just think that the talent level should, you know, outweigh some of the other teams that they're going up against. Having said that, that talent level includes Mitch Marner, playing at a high level which at this point he's not um they talked a lot about mitch marner really wearing this playoff or lack of playoff success and he probably should but i do wonder we've seen it and i'm not saying that this is going to happen but other players just flourish when they when they go to a different market or or what have you maybe that's a case that that needs to happen here but when he doesn't play well, he also doesn't help his trade value, even if you wanted to move him. So we're at a point now, we're kind of in purgatory with Mitch Marner. Um, we know what the talent level is. We, You said it. It's a guy that finished fifth in league scoring, and he's been a really dynamic offensive player. It's still early days. Like, if we're still having the same conversation about Mitch Marner after 10 games, then all bets are off. Then we're having a totally different conversation here. But... Five games, he's still public enemy number one. I do want to see more. I, I'm hoping that Mitch Marner comes out, scores two goals, and adds an assist or whatever tonight against Pittsburgh. But, God, it certainly doesn't look like he's going to get out of that hole anytime soon.
2: Shoot us a text as well, Five ninety-five ninety. Uh The most frustrating thing so far to you to the start to the Maple Leaf season. Name and location, please. Uh, check out the poll question at Russ guess, at GSN590 at MattyMar89. Um, this one's good. Dan from the bridge. I think the Leafs biggest issue right now is no one gives an S about the regular season. They can go 82 and no great job. Now go prove it in the playoffs. They win a playoff series and watch how quickly we see the buzz in the city. Absolutely. But you still got to get there. Right. But I, I, I agree with Dan and I think um, I feel like this Leafs team and I always, <laughs> it was really funny to me how uh, we heard a lot of comparisons Uh, to the Toronto Raptors with the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? Oh, you got to lose all these uh, things before you actually win a championship. And it's like, well, no, the Raptors actually won playoff series before they ultimately uh, won an NBA title. They got to the Eastern Conference Finals before getting schooled by LeBron and the Cavaliers. The Leafs can't even win a singular playoff series. So that always made me laugh. But when it comes to this team, uh, regular season is, has been their bread and butter and especially starting quickly out of the gates, not so much last year. uh, But October has usually been very kind to this group and they get off to lightning quick starts. And all of a sudden the momentum picks up in this city. It's just, I don't even feel it. Like I, 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 maybe I'm wrong about this, Matt, but I just, I, I got that sense that it's just, there's just still so much residual bitterness with how the season ended. And I don't know how they how it bounces back, right? Like, do you, do you shake something up? And I know it's only X number of games into the season. It's still very early. They're off to play in the United States for the first time, which I think will be very good for this team. Get the hell out of Canada. Play games in the U.S. Austin Matthews talked about it in his postgame last night. It's going to be good to get to the United States, play some other teams, get away from this country, get away from this market. Could be really good for this group. But it's just still there, and I don't know how long it takes to shake that off. Is it like a 10-game heater that they go on and the power play's clicking on all cylinders and Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews are lighting it up? Is that what it's going to take to kind of shake it off? Because as of right now, you would think the first couple games of the season, you wouldn't be really thinking about the the Titanic-like loss to the Habs in the playoffs, but I just still think it's so fresh that I'm surprised it's bled over this much into the regular season.
3: The other thing that we can point to George is, you know, with this residual effect that we are clearly seeing, I wonder if this team just needs some adversity, because if we look at the, at the regular seasons over the last few few years, they haven't really faced adversity to get into the playoffs. Like, okay, the bubble season, you know, where the season stopped and, they were still probably going to get in. Like I know Florida was hot on their tails at that point, but you had the sense that they were probably going to get in, you know, in previous years, they've kind of walked all over the competition in the regular season and they haven't had adversity. Maybe this team needs to just squeak into the playoffs. Maybe they need to be playing meaningful games in March at the end of March where they're fighting and clawing to get into the playoffs because then they can become a little bit battle-tested. We've seen it in years past, teams that have to claw into the playoffs because they've been playing playoff-type hockey leading into it. Maybe that's what this team needs. George, maybe they do need to get off to a slow start and give them a kick in the ass that they need. Maybe that's what this organization needs at this point because they've coasted in the regular season. And it's not because like their talent has been there and and it's just been better than teams and you can get away with that in the regular season but maybe we're at a point now where that gap is starting to close maybe other teams have just figured them out and maybe this team needs an identity change or they just need to start you know caring a little bit more in the regular season so that come playoff time they're already ready like i, I don't know I, again we're not going to we're not going to worry about we're not going to you know, panic at this point five games in, but maybe this is a good thing. Maybe them going out and losing to San Jose, who's played three games in four nights, maybe that's a good thing. Losing to Ottawa early in the season, maybe that's a good thing. Not blowing out teams to start the year. Maybe these are all things that this organization needs to take that next step forward. I do like the comparison he made with the Raptors where people say, oh, well, you got to win. You got to lose before you win. This Leaf team has lost enough. They have yeah. lost enough. They and have won at all. Exactly. So there's, there's no comparison there, like you said. This team needs to step up. This team needs to get going. And I'd be curious to see the effort level tonight. Let's see what they come out with when they take on the Penguins tonight because, man, it's going to be super, super interesting. If they come out flat, You know, if they thought that it was bad after last night's game, just wait to see what happens if you lose to a really short-handed Penguins team.
2: Got to start on time, as Mike Babcock says tonight. (laughs) He's a good player. He's a good player. He's a good man. Good man. Good family man. Um, Keep those texts rolling in. They're coming in hot and heavy. We we want to read all of them. Uh, They're great. 590, 590. What's frustrated you the most so far uh, in this young Maple Leaf season? Uh, Before we get to break, I wanted to ask you one more question. What's... At what point do we get concerned about the captain and is and everybody likes to crush Mitch Marner for his contract and John Tavares came home and everybody loved the signing at the time, but at, when do we when do we start to say uh, I'm I'm a little worried about John Tavares because right now like obviously that horrific injury he suffered in Game One of the playoffs scared the hell out of all of us. Uh, at what point does that kind of how many games does it take to say uh, I'm not he should be past the injury. We should see something better from John Tavares.
3: I think I think that comes around the ten to
2: fifteen game mark. I, I okay. still
3: think that there I still think that there is some, you know, not he, well, I guess you could say hesitancy in his game. Residual
2: and, has been the key word this morning yes, so far. Residual. residual
3: <laughs> I feel like we're on an episode of Sesame Street. The, yes. r- the letter residual. of the day is R. Um and <laughs> I do think that the ten to fifteen game mark is kind of where we need to be, and that's with the whole team. That's not only John Tavares. like if if these guys aren't producing at a high offensive level at, by game fifteen, then there's a conversation that needs to be had. I'm not ready to to you know get crazy over five games, but I do believe that by the fifteen game mark, if we are seeing you know much of the same that we have over the first five games, then we've got a little bit of a problem on our hands here.
2: Keep those texts rolling in. 590, 590, name and location. What's frustrated you the most to start this Maple Leaf season? Uh, hit up our poll question as well at Russick SN five ninety at Matty Mar eleven. Um, tons of stuff on Twitter as well. It is just flying in and uh Mitch Marner is getting a lot of hate right now on the social media uh, with his play to start the season. Uh, hit up our poll question at sn 590 at mattymar89, at fan590. But straight ahead, uh, we'll talk to Luke Fox, covers the NHL for sportsnet.ca. He'll be in Pittsburgh for tonight's game. That's awesome. We'll talk to Luke Fox straight ahead, and we'll read those texts to wrap up this first hour of Sportsnet today. That's Matt. I'm George, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Sportsnet 590, the Night Fan. Chip Sportsnet 590 fans, George with Matt Marchese. On the top of the next hour, Brad Fay, Raptors host for Sportsnet. From the the negativity surrounding the Toronto Maple Leafs to uh, what the Raptors did last night in Boston. Big win over the Celtics, 115-83. Scotty Barnes goes off in his first road game as a pro. We'll talk to Brad Fay about that. And Josh gets off, radio play-by-play voice for the Pittsburgh Penguins. At ten thirty, but joining us right now, I believe, from the beautiful Steel City, Pittsburgh, Luke Fox, Leafs NHL writer for sportscent.ca. Luke, good morning. How are you?
4: I'm a lot better since you introduced me with Lords of the Underground. I love that. Chief Rocca. Okay. All right.
2: Perfect. Um, are you in Pittsburgh right now? I am.
4: It's uh it's pretty overcast, a little little drizzly. Okay. But uh, I got up early, went to a, a Pamela's Diner. So if anyone's in uh, Pittsburgh looking for a, a good, affordable diner breakfast, I suggest Pamela's. And okay. uh, yeah, big, big game tonight. I, the, I think a little bit of pressure falls on the Maple Leafs on this one.
2: Yeah, it feels like it. Pittsburgh is a very nice, underrated city. People think Steel City, like, and they think they equate it to Hamilton. No, Pittsburgh's actually very nice. Uh, it's a nice city. <laughs> I
3: think Are you saying it Hamilton's is. not nice, George?
2: Uh, I'm saying it's not as nice as Pittsburgh. Uh, that's, that's what I'm saying right now. With all apologies uh, to the city of Hamilton. Uh, actually, my girlfriend's from Hamilton, but whatever. Uh, and I and I make fun of her all the time. No, I love Hamilton. I love you. I'm in Hamilton a lot. I love the mountain in Hamilton. It's a beautiful city. Uh, don't at me at Russick Sn50 or do. I don't care. It's fine. Uh, Luke, um, I don't. Matt and I talked about this earlier, and I know you do a great job of covering this team on a daily basis, and you have the last few years. Is, is there just a level of apathy right now surrounding the Maple Leafs since that playoff loss to the Habs?
4: It feels like it, doesn't it, George? I mean, we saw that, that one sweater thrown on the ice. I mean, that's just one fan, but game five, right? And, the, you know, <laughs> they, they, they're not – apologies to you, but they're not Montreal Canadiens bad. Uh, you know, right. two wins, two losses, uh, an overtime loss. They're – they've been kind of meh you know they they've shown flashes but they're certainly don't look dominant by any means and their superstars aren't going but five games you know and it already seems like if you check the pulse on on social media or even even if you judge by how the crowd reacted last night there there seems to be a level of impatience here uh and i i feel like uh you know the, the sour taste from last spring is still lingering in a lot of fans' mouths. And uh, it's like, you, you have to show me something fast. And adding to that, you know, you, if you stay up late, you see Zach Hyman, the, the guy they let go, scores fifth goal. And so he has more goals, uh, that one guy, than Nylander, Tavares, Marner, Matthews combined. Uh, so it's a it's a really slow start for the offense, and I, I think that's that's the key thing here. And, and Sheldon Keefe's talked about it. Um, this whole team's identity and all their money was pumped into guys who can score goals, and they've yet to get going. Um, th- this isn't going to sustain, though, right? Like they're getting chances. They ran into a couple hot goalies, but last night's effort was was kind of lackluster, especially the fact that the Sharks were playing their their third game in four nights. The Maple Leafs were, were super well-rested, having three days off, and they still couldn't get to the inside and and pummel a lot of pucks at Aiden Hill. And the fact that the offense has yet to get going, I think, is is the reason why fans are, are so upset, because that's supposed to be this team's identity.
3: Luke, you, you talked about um, the effort level, and I just find it really interesting because I had a conversation with a buddy of mine. And he said, you know, I do miss hockey, and and I I missed hockey for a while, and then I missed the Leafs playing, but you see the contrast when you see Leafs and Ottawa in the first game of a doubleheader on Saturday night, and then you watch Calgary and Edmonton in a slugfest where they don't like each other. It's just the Leafs don't play – they play an entertaining offensive-style hockey, but in the same breath, you know, when they're not scoring, this is a really hard team to watch some nights.
4: Yeah and I think that's just the personnel right like that's that's who they've they've bet on uh that's why a guy like Michael Bunting stands out so much and has become this fan favorite because he's got a little grease in him you know he goes to the net he, he parks himself in the blue paint he draws penalties he he gets under guys skin and because the leafs have so few of those guys um you know the fan base latches onto that they want i think people want to see you know, some, some effort and some, uh, a little bit of nastiness and, and, you know, you watch other games around the league and and you see a little bit more of that than you do in the Leafs. So, um, the way they counter that is by putting up a ton of goals on the power play or, or being a dominant, even strength team. And they haven't done that either. So I think that's why it's come under the microscope a little bit more.
2: Luke, I don't want to crush Michael Hutchinson like some fans have done the past 24 hours. Uh, I'm sure the guy's a good guy, fighting to stay in the league and make make a paycheck, good for him. But how is it year four that Michael Hutchinson is still getting starts with the Toronto Maple Leafs? As an organization, how have the Leafs not been able to develop one
4: goaltender in four years, Luke? Yeah, it's a problem. It's an organizational problem. And you might say it extends beyond the goaltending. Like uh, I think it was like 80% of their roster are guys that weren't drafted and developed by the Leafs. Um, They've reached the point where they've spent prospects and spent draft picks to continually bring in free agents and try to fill in around the edges with those guys. So outside of the nucleus, you know, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Riley, there's very few guys coming, um, and certainly in, in goal, that's been an issue, an organizational issue. Uh, you know, they, I think they hope Joseph Wall might have been that guy, Ian Scott, but injuries just persist, um, and goaltending's a, a hard thing. I think, you know, what, what the league's expansion to 32 teams and the Seattle Kraken are having their their home opener tonight, Uh, one of the big things I think we're going to see is that there's just not enough talent to go around. Um, And I think we're going to see, you know, there's going to be a lack of number one defensemen and there's going to be a lack of goalies, a lack of really good goalies. Uh, It's why we're seeing um, so few teams being able to roll out a number one. Like you could probably count on one hand, maybe two hands, teams that have a true number one, like your Hellebuck's and your Vasilevsky's. Uh, a lot of teams have to roll with the tandem. And then when one of your members of the tandem that you invested in big time in Peter Mrazek goes down after two periods, you see the, the fall off. Um, you know, I think it's not just Toronto. I, I think if a lot of teams started their third string goalie uh, against a, you know, a team that's off to a hot start, credit here, uh, they're undefeated. But if, if you start your third string goalie, you can't expect great results.
3: Well, Luke, and and with that being said, I, I mentioned this last week. I, I'm not one that is going to overly criticize Kyle Dubas because I think he's actually done a pretty good job and just the guys that he has had have not performed. But having said that, there has to be some criticism warranted for the fact that he's rolling into the season with two goaltenders that haven't been overly healthy over the course of their career. Like you lose Peter Mrazek, you know, basically in the second game of the year and you're already having to start Michael Hutchinson, you know, God bless Michael Hutchinson for trying his best, but his best, unfortunately, isn't good enough at this level. And can you, now you have to rely on Jack Campbell playing a bulk of the games because Peter Mrazek has a groin injury and we know how touch and go those can be because it's a very finicky thing. Like does Kyle Dubas deserve some criticism for how he approached the goalie market this off season?
4: Well, it's like, okay, so what were their other options? You know, you, do, you, do you want to bring Freddie back? He's off to a, a nice start in Carolina, but it just seemed that there was uh, a serious divide. It felt like that ship had sailed, and I think anyone who watched the, the all-or-nothing doc can probably see that there was a, a level of dissatisfaction there from the, the coaching staff and from management, and it felt like Freddie's time had, had come. Uh, you know, the the other... Goalies who you'd say are definitely better than Mrazic would be like Philip Grubauer or Darcy Kemper, but the Maple Leafs have put themselves in a position by spending so much on forwards that they could only spend so much on the goaltending position. This is this is this is kind of like the they bought they box themselves in. So out of the candidates that were available, and if you look at them, you know you're you're talking about. Do you go to David Riddick again? Do you, you, know, do you go for... Um, uh, oh, he's, he's, I'm forgetting his name. But anyway, that, I'm just saying that there weren't a lot of options available. And Mrazek had a, a history of being a good tandem goalie, a good 1A, 1B type guy, streaky, yes, injury prone. But if you looked at the lot and you looked at the price range that the Maple Leafs were shopping in, there weren't that many other options.
2: Luke Fox, NHL writer for Sportsnet.ca, joining us here on Sportsnet today. George and Matt, Sportsnet five ninety, the fan. I don't, I don't want to keep harping on goaltending, and I, and I agree with everything what you said, Luke, about well, just the situation they're in. But honestly, is is their goaltending good enough to have a deep run into the playoffs? Like, how red well, hot does Jack Campbell or Peter Mrazek have to get
4: to catch lightning in a bottle here? Well, yeah, I mean it's. It, it, I can't say for certain it is, but it remains to be seen. But I, what I would say is that Jack Campbell has shown really well. Uh, you know, his save percentage, his goals against average, his composure in the net. He he isn't giving up a lot of second chances, a lot of easy rebounds. He's looked really strong. I mean, the backups have, haven't have delivered a win yet, but when Campbell's been in there, he's given them every chance to win every game like Uh, I don't think you could ask more from his first four appearances. So if if he plays at that level, then sure. Um, But, you know, they have to have the other things going. Like, uh, you know, I thought Jack Campbell played well enough to beat the Montreal Canadiens. They they weren't getting goals. Like, it's just not one thing. I I think if Campbell plays up to his level, they, they can do it. But they have to have the other elements. They have to have the big guns going. I mean you you spend all this money to have these guys dominate like absolutely dominate they're supposed to outscore the other team and it hasn't shown in the playoffs and it hasn't shown early in this season.
3: Luke uh Nick Ritchie was a guy that came in with uh with some uh, I guess, I guess some some positive reviews as a guy that maybe could fit, you know, on the top line with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner because he gives them some size and he can go into the dirty areas to go get the puck. He's played only these, these guys have only played two games together, but Nick Ritchie gets caught on the wrong side of the ice on Carlson's goal. And he just, he looks just really slow out there in comparison to the other two guys. How long is the leash here for Nick Ritchie? And could we see a situation that, Nick Ritchie gets bumped down the lineup and maybe an Andre Kasha gets a shot on the top line or, or they move Michael Bunting onto the top line with Matthews and Marner. Is there, do you have a a number in mind of how many games we could see before Nick Ritchie gets bumped down the lineup?
4: Uh, It could happen halfway through tonight's game. If they don't get rolling Uh, like I, I, so he's had five games uh, only two with, with Austin uh, to be fair, but, he ha- he doesn't have a point. He's minus two. He's taken a couple penalties. Uh, he looks slow. The thing is, Sheldon Keefe has gone out of his way to protect this guy in the media because, you know, some fans and some reporters are, are pointing out that he's flawed. And he's flawed because he isn't Zach Hyman and he isn't Michael Bunting. And the Maple Leafs have a serious issue. On the left wing, ever since Hyman left. So they tried this patchwork approach um, by getting guys on, on cheaper contracts. But Ilya Mikheyev goes down right away. Um, and that really exposes the left wing. You got an offensive minded left wing prospect who probably needs more seasoning in Nick Robertson. He's not even an option now because the poor guy broke his leg and is out 10 weeks. So it's like, how many options does Keith have on the left wing? He's got Bunting and Richie, and then you're getting into your your Pierre Engvalls, who at at the time of training camp, there was a suggestion that he might end up on waivers. But all of a sudden, injuries have made Engvall suddenly a a pretty valuable piece to this this team every night. So it gets pretty thin, and the team has invested two years and five million in Richie. They have to make this work. Um but absolutely I, I don't see him settling as a top line left winger. I, I haven't seen enough yet. Like I, I and, and that's fair, right? Like Boston didn't offer this guy a qualifying offer. He's probably more suited to a third a third line role, uh, you know, on a on a deep, strong team. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if Matthews and Marner can't get going and they're so such important. Pieces to this team. I wouldn't be surprised if Keith. um, Moved Michael Bunting up. To try and juice those guys. And and give them uh, a faster guy. A greasier guy. um, A guy who seems much more engaged. And much less prone to mistakes so far.
2: Luke before I let you go. Who do you think is more frustrated. With this power play. Sheldon Keith or Kyle Dubas.
4: Good question. Um, Probably I would guess Keefe just because, you know, the coach is in the thick of it every day working on it. He's got new assistants. Um, they spent a lot of time over the summer trying to dream up new schemes. They've moved Mitch Marner around. They've, they've put William Nylander there and, and given a second shooting option. Uh, to be fair, kind of like a, similar with the Richie conversation, Austin Matthews is such an important piece to that power play. And we've only seen him on it for two games, so it should take a little time. But the identity of this team is—it's supposed to burn you with your with its power play, and it's operating at around 18 percent. And quite frankly, that's not good enough, right? Like they're they're supposed to be frightening. They're supposed to be deadly. They're supposed to be you know similar to the to the Lightning or or the Bruins or the Penguins when they're power plays are are really humming like this is supposed to be a weapon for the Maple Leafs um, because they're not going to intimidate you with their physicality they have to intimidate you with their power play so it is a a sore point of concern they spent a lot of time in camp working on it I'm sure they had a lot of meetings they took the responsibility away from Manny Malhotra hoping that a new voice in Carberry um, would breathe some new life into it and it hasn't quite got rolling Um, but I would say, you know, there's 82 games here. Uh, only two have been played with Austin Matthews. So tonight could be the night. I mean, Pittsburgh is really depleted right now. Uh, this is a prime opportunity for the Maple Leafs to, to step on the gas and, and really put up some goals on the board.
2: Luke Fox covers the Leafs and the National Hockey League for Sportsnet.ca. Luke, always fun. Thanks for this. Enjoy beautiful Pittsburgh.
4: Yeah, you know what? I, I, I'm on on your page, George. This is an underrated yeah. city. The downtown's really fun in Pittsburgh. Good restaurants, good times. Very Walkable hilly. city. Very hilly, yeah.
2: Pittsburgh. And it's better than Hamilton.
3: Wow. What a concept.
2: <laughs> yeah, thanks wow. for reminding the listeners, Matt. Thank you. Luke, always no great
4: stuff. Thanks, pal. <laughs> okay, have a good one, guys.
2: I don't forget Leafs Nation post game with Brent Cunning and Gord Stellick. Following the game, anywhere you get your podcasts or hear it after tonight's Raptors reaction with William Liu. Um, text line blowing up all morning, five ninety five ninety 590, name and location. Keep them coming throughout the show. What's been the most frustrating thing to you so far in this Maple Leaf season? Maddie, what do we got on the old text line?
3: All right, we're going to go to... Uh, where was that? Oh, Frank from Kleinberg. I'm going to say something glaringly obvious. Keith doesn't have the guts to swap Nylander with Marner. Why hasn't that happened in his tenure? forget this year? Something is preventing it to get Matthews going. Nylander is the guy. He has been their best and most consistent forward. Everyone seems to be on their own page. There is a disconnect.
2: Yeah, there, there's just... So much frustration with this team, and I think, and again, there's so many texts we can get to throughout the show. I feel like Mitch Marner potentially with Leafs Nation is enemy number one, and I feel like Kyle Dubas is enemy number two, Matt.
3: For sure. For sure, because he's the one who put this team together. And yeah. and I'll reiterate, I, I like the group that he has put together, and sometimes <laughs> – I'm not going to blame the Leafs blowing a 3-1 series lead on Kyle Dubas. I'm really not. That's on the players. But at some point, the criticism has to lie. Like you talked about, you know, not figuring out the third goalie position. Like as much as as we want to say, ah, it's not a big deal, it's a bigger deal when you have two goalies that can't seem to stay healthy. That's where the problem lies.
2: It's not like this is the first year with Michael Hutchinson, right? This is the fourth year Leaf fans have seen that guy start games for this team. Like it's And God bless Michael Hutchinson. This isn't a slight against that guy. Figure it out. Develop somebody within this organization. And I think Luke's point about 80% of the roster aren't draft picks, that's actually jarring because you don't really think about it because you think of the tanking for Marner and Matthews and Neilander and how that all worked out perfectly for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But, yeah, they're not developing anybody. And who's coming up? Like, who's the Leafs' prized prospect? Is it Rasmus Sandine right now? Is it it Nick Robertson? Like, that's it? This is who they got coming up? Well, when you don't draft in the first round, the last
3: couple of seasons, I mean, first round picks aren't the be all end all. It's how you develop your prospects. But yeah, I mean, is Rodian Amarov the guy that they think is going to be a thing? Like, I don't know. I, I. I don't know enough about the prospects to say one thing or another, but Nick Robertson was supposed to be the prize because he was a big time junior scorer and, and, and he's, you know, he's hurt right now, but I I know where you're going with this, George.
2: If the Leafs had a big time prospect, we'd be hearing about it all the time. Well, even
3: when they don't, we hear how many people
2: were watching Mitch Marner in junior for the London Knights? Yeah,
3: no, it's a, it's a valid salivating. There There were even times when they didn't have prospects that they were taught talk- like Justin Pogie was the next coming of your Lord and savior. Right. right. And he certainly wasn't, uh, they had that guy it was too Carrasco, um, but yeah. Well. Uh, okay. So you don't, you want a, a, nice little, um, fantasy trade George, because these are okay. This is, this is not happening. Um, <laughs> this is from Rick and Mimico. Who's a, who is a blue jackets fan? Cause he, he ends every text by go jackets. Corpusallo for Marner and a second round
2: pick. Okay, right. <laughs> Calm down. Like,
3: Rick. Rick, I know you're a Jackets fan, but Mitch Marner is is worth more than Jonas Corpusallo, and the Leafs would have to throw in a second round pick. Come on now, I know it's yeah. early Saturday, but we got to be better than that on a Saturday
2: morning. Let, let's let's just dial it back a little bit. Uh, I got to get one in. Uh... Paul from Niagara Falls. Got to get those Niagara Falls texts in. Dubas having faith in this soft core is the most frustrating. Losers lose. It's tough to argue with that one until they prove otherwise that they can get it in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Keep those texts rolling in. 590 590 and location. Text line blowing up this morning. What's been the most frustrating part to you? Start... What's been the most frustrating thing to the start of this Maple Leaf season? Hit us up on Twitter as well, at sn 590 at mar 89 we got a poll question up as well. Lots of Maple Leafs talk still ahead on the program. Leafs in Pittsburgh tonight finally playing a game away from this country, and I think that'll do the Maple Leafs a lot of good tonight against a very, very shorthanded Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, Raptors had a big win last night in Boston. Scotty Barnes went off. We'll talk to Brad Fay, Raptors host for Sportsnet. And Josh gets off the play-by-play radio voice for the Pittsburgh Penguins at 10.30. Sportsnet today, George and Matt, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.
0: This is Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 590, The Fan.
2: Sportsnet today, Sportsnet 590, the fan, George Russick, Matt Marchese. Later on this hour, Josh Getzoff, radio play-by-play voice from the Pittsburgh Penguins will join us. Tee up the Penguin side of the Leafs and Pens tonight from Pittsburgh. Keep those texts rolling into 590, 590, name and location. What's been the most frustrating part to the part? What's been the most frustrating thing to you to start this Maple Leaf season, got a poll question up as well at Russick SN 590 at Matty Mar 89 What's frustrated you the most? Three options for the Maple Leaf season. Nick Ritchie, Michael Hutchinson still getting starts, or the power play? Do you know what wasn't frustrating last night? The play of Scotty Barnes as the Raptors crushed the Celtics in their home opener 115-83. To talk about that, Brad Fay is a Raptors host for Sportsnet. Good morning, Brad. How are you? Hey, how you doing, guys? Uh, we're great. Is it, is it too early, two games in his career, that you dig up tweets of everyone so upset that the Raptors took Scotty Barnes over Jalen Suggs? Do you, do you dig up those tweets from fans and media and you just retweet them this morning, Brad? Is it too early to do that? You know,
5: it, it may be too early now, but it won't be too early uh, Friday. We have our uh, first game at Scotiabank Arena on Sportsnet, and it's Orlando coming to town. So with Suggs in town, okay. that's what I said to Sherm last night. I said, Suggs, you know, I go, he didn't really talk trash to the Raptors, but he kind of did, and we're going to we're to pump that angle because uh, you know that Scotty's going to get a shot to guard him, so will O.G. If he, if they want, don't want him to go off, they're going to make a point of it. But, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people, um, you know, we all talk about trusting Messiah Jury and Bobby Webster and they're proving again that they made a pretty good choice.
3: With with Barnes playing so well last night, you know, he he wasn't it's hard to say that he wasn't great in in his first game, but he did have the six turnovers and and even Nick Nurse said he's like I I don't think he played that poorly in his first game but last night kind of gave us a glimpse into what scotty barnes is you know he had the 25 points the 13 boards he was creating offensively and he was just he was just a problem for the celtics and and he was a big part of the raptors playing good defense last night when we when we look at scotty barnes do we think that he We know he's going to be good defensively, but do we think he's going to be that elite scorer that this team is probably going to need going forward?
5: Yeah, it's interesting because he's not a traditional scorer. And you look at those 13 rebounds, six of them were offensive, which means he goes and gets his own. And and the shot is coming. hit a couple of the early three last night in a a beauty of like a 15-foot pull-up that looked very confident. It's one of those shots that stands out to me. But I think the, the best part is, is that you know, he's not going to get 25 and 13 every night, but he's not going to have too many completely off nights because he doesn't have to rely on a shot being on or off. He just seems to make himself part of the, the, the dirty stuff to go get his own. And that, uh, to me, was the most impressive thing of all last night. And the attitude with which he, he does it, it's, uh, it's got to be contagious for everybody else out there
2: right, do we forget that he's even still gonna grow into his body and probably be even more of a force? yeah, I think we better we better be reminded of he's setting all these records
5: already for youngest to do this as a raptor, and uh, I know that to the other so I think he is the youngest to get twenty five and ten I know that for sure as a raptor, and the other one that was amazing was uh that only David Stomeyer has ever scored more in his first road game as a pro as a raptor, so he had twenty six and Barnes had 25 obviously last night so there's a lot more where that came from I expected and there will be there will be some some speed bumps along the way but yeah you, you know that he's the player he is right now he's going to be twice that player by the time next season starts
3: Brad, we've talked a lot this off season about this team maybe not having enough offensively To really compete but last night we saw the defense force 25 turnovers they only had 11 themselves after having 9 19 in Wednesday's opener is the key to the Raptors success this season going to be playing really good defense forcing turnovers and then having to be really good in the transition games to catch teams off guard
5: no I think so I think that's probably the game plan And, and the other thing that's funny when you mentioned off the top about uh Raptor fans, you know, essentially eating crow or all the stuff they said about when they drafted Scotty Barnes. The same thing about everybody wanting Pascal Siakam out of town and then opening night when they couldn't score in the half court. It's like, when does Pascal come back? Everybody quickly forgets. So you're bringing back a guy there to answer your question in terms of the offense who obviously, you know, took a bit of a step back when the Raptors were away from home, but he's an elite offensive player, can play in the, in the, the run game as well. That's where he made his name. So He adds, you know, one more athletic body. I think um, that the the pressure right now on OG Ananobi is not so much self-inflicted as it is. He's getting the the top defensive assignment from the other side. And he, uh, you know, you look, Fred and he were eight for 37 in game one, seven for 28 last night that's their two best players right now. That's not going to continue. So uh, once they settle down, then maybe they'll get more traditional scoring. But right now I think it's creating chaos and that's what they do. Pressure's a two, another guy that uh, really contributes to that.
2: Brad, we, we saw Gary Trent Jr. put up 20 points last night. Quietly, what are the Raptors expecting out of him as an organization this season? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, for that, that deal, that uh, three
5: years, $54 million, and I think they expect him to be what Norm Powell was, but maybe a little bit uh you know, he's a little bit bigger and uh, you know, potentially a better defender perhaps. I know Norm early was, you know, recognized as a great defender, and then when his offense took over, maybe that was something that he forgot about. And I'm a big fan of Norm as well. But I think if they get, you know, equal output as to what Norm Powell brought them, but on a more consistent basis and that's what they want. And it was kind of strange last night because everybody had Drogic starting. And that's what they told us the Raptors at the top of the, the clock or the bottom of the clock as we came on the air at 7 with the show. And by the time uh, the, the tip-off was that Trent was in the starting lineup, and I don't think he'll look back because I think Drag- was looked comfortable running that second unit, and then they can put he and Fred together when they need. But it just felt too small with those two. So I think Trent with that bit of a bigger guard, 20 is a bonus. But I think if he can be a 14, 15, 16-point guy on most nights, they'll be happy with that.
3: Brad, uh, when we talk about the offense, so through two games, it's been balanced scoring, even though uh, Wednesday night was very balanced, but very bad. Um, but when we look at last night, six players scored in double figures. All five of the starters were in double figures. The, I guess the question with this Raptors team is, can you win with balanced scoring and not having that that one guy who you can trust to have the ball maybe late in the game, who's you know your your lockdown shooter that you can count on every single night for you know 30, 25 or 30 points a night. Can you win like that with balance scoring in the NBA?
5: Well, I think you can in the regular season, and then it seems like uh, the playoffs it seems to be another animal, and I think that's what everybody was kind of hoping with Pascal out, that OG Ananobi would take that step right away, and then Siakam comes back, and he can be in that more comfortable role of not having to be the guy late in games. But clearly it's a slow start for OG in that regard. So, yeah, I think that's to be answered. I think regular season fine. And I think the Raptors did that two years ago, um, you know, right before the the shutdown hit where they had the the second best record in the NBA. Everything was different once they got inside the bubble. But they did that by committee. And, um, you know, Siakam was their best player, but still, as we saw, wasn't at his best in down the stretch in close games. So it's interesting the way the NBA works that you have to have that guy, and maybe they've got a few more potential candidates to to be that guy on a nightly basis.
2: Brad Faye, Raptors host for Sportsnet, joining us here on Sportsnet today. George Russick, Matt Marquesi, Sportsnet five ninety The Fan. Brad, why can't I shake uh, all these Ben Simmons? Uh, the just the drama, the soap <laughs> opera that continues to go on in Philadelphia. Why can't I stop thinking about Ben Simmons being a fit with the Raptors?
5: Yeah, it's uh, wild. But, who you know, now the latest is, uh, at least, you know, again, if we all say the latest like it's full-on news, but it's all different things all over the web that they're targeting OG now, you know, and uh, I, I, I liked it initially. I'll admit I liked it for Siakam uh, when they were talking about, about that, whether we had the – you know the Raptors had to send somebody else the other way, and I thought I got like a guy like Drogic once they got him from Miami, it would, would have been perfect to give them another veteran guard. Now I'm not so sure. I just think that, you know, him saying now saying he's you know he's not mentally ready to play, and then apparently in practice with his cell phone in his sweatband pocket wouldn't get into the defensive drill and walked out. I just don't know if that's you know completely related to uh, what his his feelings towards the team, or whether that's more of who he is and as we said with the Scotty Barnes, a perfect example, he's a good guy and the Raptors like good people as well as good players. And, and, maybe, maybe that ship has sailed, but it is, it is intriguing to think of that another long body. Like if it's he and Scotty Barnes and Ananobi and, and a playing defense at the same time, I mean, what does anybody get out of that? So uh, we'll see. But I, I wonder, wonder if it's sailed now with, with, in terms of Messiah and Bobby and those guys.
2: Yeah, just it's just so it's just the possibilities to me because we know that the Raptors just they haven't proven that they can sign a superstar player via free agency and they can only acquire those players a trade and when a guy like that is available i just feel like brad that if there's one organization in the nba that can (laughs) fix that guy and fix his shot damn it why wouldn't it be the toronto raptors
5: yeah (laughs) but now again it's it's all about what you have to give up if it's not uh messing with the core and that's i guess that's part of the problem right if it's gonna have to be Ananobi or pascal and then suddenly you're down you know i mean i I still like that core
2: I, I get it, Brad, but, like, yeah. is there anybody really who's untouchable on this team, no, to be no, honest with definitely. you? Like, yeah. like, they traded DeMar DeRozan, who was, like, the heart and soul of the Raptors, to potentially win a championship. I don't. I just don't feel like right now, and God bless guys like OG and Pascal, but yeah. th- they're not Ben Simmons. And I know no, Ben Simmons ben can't Simmons shoot.
5: Kawhi, right? <laughs> and no, and well, no, uh, ben know. Simmons is not Kawhi, right? No, Ben Simmons
2: is not Kawhi. But and, he might and be close if, and, they can, yeah. if they can fix him. Like, that's mm-hmm. just, just the possibility is just still there. The ceiling is still very high for that guy.
5: Yeah, yeah. And it's, I don't know, you know, it's, 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 if the timing was different, I think because with DeMar, the timing was perfect because they gave it two full years. Yeah. They had the best record both times, and they end up losing badly to Cleveland and realized you had to. You couldn't bring that group back. So if this was next offseason and this happened with Ben Simmons and the Raptors really spun their wheels this year, which is, is still possible. I think they're going to be right around 500 and right in the mix of playoff berth. Uh Then, then you might decide, okay, time to move on from Pascal or time to move on from OG. But maybe right now doesn't feel right, and especially what he what he brings, as you say. But if anyone if anyone could fix him, it seems like you know it, that uh, the, the Raptors are that type of organization to bring people in and get them in line. But it's a lot. It seems like it's a lot to work with when it comes to Ben Simmons. But love love the the game and the size and the intrigue of it as well. I'm with you.
3: Uh, put me in the category that I want Ben Simmons no part of this Raptors organization. But hey, that's just me. Um, he does, Now, having said that, he does fit exactly what the Raptors tried to build this offseason. When you look at this team, they have length, they they're very athletic like when we look at the lot the different rotations that they use and the different lineups that they can put together does that become a little bit of a mismatch for other teams and is that why maybe the Raptors are a are little bit underrated this year just because they have guys that can guard multiple positions and on the offensive side they're harder to guard because of their length
5: yeah I mean and if the guys can start you know a true knockdown. uh a three last night and and scotty barnes hit one if those guys can you know begin to stretch the the game a little bit they'll be really hard to guard i think the other thing that that people should keep in mind is because they're so you know they're so young and aggressive and even though ananobi and when pascal comes back you know they're not that young like fred but these guys play the right way and play so hard and then you get these kids bouncing around spinning off of guys and Getting in people's faces, they're going to win a few games just by that because a lot of the veteran teams that like, oh, listen, I'll save it. I'll see you in the playoffs if you guys are there. I'm not going this hard. I'm not going to, you know, get my nose bashed out to to win a game in January or November. So they don't know how to turn it off. They're like a high school team in some ways with those bodies coming off the bench and and six nine everywhere. And so I think that they'll they'll bury some teams that way that uh, will want to go away. So I love it. It's I think it's it's one of those. Uh, so many guys that are the same size and the same type of player that it's fun with the, so many new guys in the roster that you have to look at the number a few times to make sure who's out there because it doesn't change a whole lot when some of these guys come off the bench, especially that rotation of the big guys with the Chua and Boucher and even Birch. They all kind of play that same hard nose, and I think they all were all over the boards last night. So it's a good problem for Nick Nurse. They had no depth last year whatsoever, and they got a whole bunch more this year.
2: Right, a word of the day this morning on the show has been residual, uh, talking about the Maple Leafs and just like the residual effects from losing to the Habs in the playoffs, but especially in that opener, and I know it was a tough game to watch uh, mm-hmm. in front of the fans at Scotiabank Arena for the first time, but it's impossible to quantify these kind of things, but just the re- residual effect of that championship in 2019 and so many guys and so many members of the coaching staff, led of course by Nick Nurse, have that championship pedigree what is that going to mean for the development of guys like Scotty Barnes and, and Precious Achua, and the list goes on and on of these guys who potentially will be big members of the Raptors moving forward? What, what will that mean?
5: I think it's huge because it's it's recent. You could walk in and play for Boston now and say, oh, this is where all, you know, all the championships are, them and the Lakers, but they haven't won one since 2008. So right away, as you, you say, some of the coaching staff, of key players, three key players that were on that team, four players, if you include Chris Boucher, who didn't really play. But that, you know, it's not that far removed. And then more importantly, I think the standard's been set. I don't think that uh, the Raptors, that's what happened last year at the end about, you know, no playing game. They want to build towards the whole goal is to compete again for a championship. So when you're in an org- organization where that's the goal, I think uh, it has to rub off and you realize we're not just here to be a fourth, fifth seed every year. We want to be at the top.
3: And it's funny, too, we're talking (laughs) the the word residual today. Um, When I look at the Raptors and in comparison to a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs, whatever, um, the... The, the development that they've been able to have over the past few years, because while they were, while they won a championship, they were still developing younger players. Like OG Ananobi got better. Pascal Siakam got better. And and then Chris Boucher comes along. He gets better. Is, is that why we should not count out the Raptors team? Like, yes, on the court, there's a lot of talent. They have a lot of depth, but we've seen the, oh, we lost Brad there.
2: Okay. Um so yeah, George that little I'll, I'll... noise that little noise is just the it's just the sound of you know whoops that little poop <laughs> yeah He's that's the, you, you hate you hate when you when you hear that
3: but and and we'll get Brad's take on this but when you talk about the development of this Raptors team George isn't that what gives us or the the, the fans faith in the organization because the proof is in the pudding. We've seen the development of all these young players. And when they bring in guys like Gary Trent Jr. or they draft a guy like Scotty Barnes, you look and go, you know what? These guys are going to become really good basketball players because we've already seen it with guys. Oh, we have Brad back on the line. So Brad, I... I, uh, I don't know where I, I don't know where the demons got you. Um, I don't yeah. know where I lost you there, but when we talk about Raptors developing players, is the reason why we have so much faith in the organization is because we've seen them take guys like a Chris Boucher, like Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, and turn them into quality and better-than-quality NBA players so that when they bring in Scotty Barnes or a Gary Trent Jr., we look at them and go, this team is going to be really good because they continue to develop players, and we think that they they will reach their potential with the Toronto Raptors.
5: Yeah, I mean, you look, and obviously Kawhi was the big exception. But when they won the championship, you know, the first team to, to win it without a lottery pick, and that was because Kawhi slipped through the through everybody's uh, fingers in terms of scouting report. But that's what makes it so you know people again have to remember Scotty Barnes being the fourth overall pick. This is something this Raptor group hasn't had. Tomorrow was a top ten pick, and then since then they've been finishing near the near the top of the standings. So. And I'll add Fred VanVleet into that list that you, you know, you put forward that an undrafted guy, like they just seem to have that feel. And so uh, it's, you can't doubt what they do. And I think the whole last year, again, the other thing that hurt them was the the no nine Oh five situation because they have a better setup than most teams. And given that it's right in town, I love the games when the guys play both, they'll play in the afternoon and then come be on the bench for the NBA game as well. So they figured something out, and uh, you've heard players say that guys that sign as free agents when they don't get drafted, they say, I, I want to go there because I've seen what that team can do. So it's, uh, it's very impressive, and that's why I said to people, last year was an anomaly. This year they won't necessarily be back to where they were, but this year will be the worst this team will be for about five years, and that's a pretty rare thing to think. They'll, they'll probably end up missing the playoffs if you take last year out of it they might miss the playoffs once in about a 12 or 13 year run here because they've set themselves up for a team that went all in to win a championship and has lost so many guys the fact that they have a chance to build now towards being a very very uh elite team in a few years is is pretty impressive and it speaks to, to the way they handle things
3: you mentioned fred van vliet in the you know development of this raptors team so now basically this is you know this is maybe not fred's only but Fred and Pascal Siakam's team to kind of move forward with here. Do you think Fred Van Vliet is ready to take that next step to become the guy with the Raptors? Because he certainly gets paid like that. And he was paid that much to essentially take over Kyle Lowry's role on the team. Do you think he's ready for that? I think
5: emotionally and that part of it uh, is, is unquestioned that he is. And I think he learned from Kyle the way, you know, the way Kyle controlled things and the way people fell in line. And Fred is clearly the guy after that game one where they said, what did you uh, what'd you say to the, the kids after a loss like that? And he said, I just said, I told you, this is what happens. You get to the, the regular season. The lights are a lot different from the preseason. So that part of it, I think everybody respects him and knows what his journey has been. Uh, whether he is that guy on the court, is, you know, it, this is his chance to prove it. He has wanted it, and uh, it, it's different when you play with a guy like Kyle Lauer, even though a lot of the rest of the NBA you know, fans don't understand the value that he brings. You see it on a regular basis. That takes a lot of pressure off you, so this will be a, a real opportunity for Fred to, to grow into it. So I'll leave that one as I think so, but I'm, I'm curious to see how it all unfolds.
2: Uh, real quick to Brad, before I let you go, uh, the Dallas Mavericks are fascinating to me. Uh, that's Toronto's opponent tonight. Obviously, they host the Mavericks. Um, w- what's your take on them? Cause I feel like they need another big piece there to help out Luca potentially be a championship contender. I just, and, and it's strange to me that guys, superstars don't kind of want to sign in Dallas where it feels like the perfect situation. You're playing with a generational talent. And in an owner that is just all about mm-hmm. winning and does whatever takes necessary to win, it, it just feels weird to me that Dallas isn't the sexiest destination for superstar players.
5: Yeah, I agree with you. That's because that's one of those cities. And again, with the owner, I mean, he changed everything. First, got to make the locker rooms, you know, palatial and palatial, and have the, uh, you know, they all had their individual. Game consoles in there and everything else. Like everybody loves to play for him. Like you said, just wants to win. Money is no object. The one thing I'll say, be watching. I'm sure the Raptors will be watching closely the roster tonight because obviously that's where Drogba wanted to go, and and uh, Luca wanted him to be there. Not that he's the guy that puts him over the top, but maybe they, you know, you look down that roster, see who the Raptors can poach from there to get. To get moved roggage. But, uh, yeah, you got to – Don who's a guy, you say, generational talent literally already there, and you got, you're going to have a 10-year window as long as he stays to try to win. So that's an that's intriguing one to me as well. I uh, I would think that would be one of the top five or six places that most players would want to go play. So we'll see. Maybe there's something, something more to it. But uh, they better get to work quickly. You don't want to waste a guy like that. Yeah.
2: Brad Fay, uh, Raptors host for Sportsnet. Brad,
5: thanks for this. Um, okay, guys, this time I'll uh, hang up and you won't be calling me back. That was my fault, I think.
2: So okay, we'll talk right. next time. We can if you want, like just to see what you're up to. Like that. <laughs> yeah, we exactly. Totally can do that if you want. <laughs> all, all right, right guys, thanks, have pal. Have a great weekend. See ya. There he goes, Brad Faye. Uh, Raptors host the Dallas Mavericks, second half of a back-to-back at 7:30 tonight. Eric Smith and Paul Jones have the pregame at seven o'clock right here on Sportsnet. 590 the fan yeah I just can't figure out the Mavericks like why don't guys want to sign there Matt it feels I, it's, like the perfect
3: situation it I I do wonder about that there was some there was some talk that I I remember l- last season that Luca was not the easiest guy to play with um yeah because he wanted it all for himself but how much of that is just because he couldn't rely on some of the guys around him like Kristaps yeah. Porzingis was hot and cold and and the rest of the roster, you know, you just kind of look at it and go, okay, it leaves me wanting more, right? So I wonder I wonder how much of that get I well, I I don't wonder. I know that kind of talk gets around and I wonder if Luca might be the reason why some guys don't want to go there. Um cuz Mark Mark Cuban seems like, you know, an owner that guys would want to play for, but I don't know how much of that is in the equation as well.
2: I uh I've I've talked about this on the radio station. I'm not a big fan of watching Luca play because I just feel like it's just too ball dominant, and it's hard for me to say that because his dad is Serbian. But I just feel like it's too ball dominant, and I don't. And I like watching James Harden play, especially when he's with the Rockets, and he was too ball dominant, and people didn't like his style of play and how he got to the free throw line too much. But I just feel like it's too ball dominant. Pass the damn ball sometimes, Luca, a little more. Yeah, and that's and that might be the
3: reason why people players are just looking at it and going, nah, that's not for me. I mean, I just you know, I, I I'm not interested in that. Luca has to be able to give up the ball for that team to have success. But it's kind of the the chicken or the egg, right? It, are they are they good because Luca is so ball dominant or or can they be better if he's not? Like that's kind of the the issue that I have. They they do have to build a better supporting cast around it. And now Jason Kidd's the head coach there. I'm just not sold on Jason Kidd as an NBA head coach. I'm really not.
2: Uh, and, and again, uh, I would. It would be awesome if Luca played for the Raptors, uh, and he's an incredible player. I'm just. I like watching a few players better than I like watching Luka Doncic. That's fine. Um, straight ahead. Josh Getzoff, the radio play-by-play voice for the Pittsburgh Penguins, will join us. Tee up the Maple Leafs opponent tonight, and we'll get to your text, five ninety five ninety. the most disappointing part to you in this start to the Maple Leaf season. five ninety five ninety. name and location. A ton of texts rolling in. Our Twitter poll question, too, uh, Matt. A lot of response to our Twitter poll question. What's been the most frustrating start? Uh, to the season for the Maple Leafs. Nick Ritchie, the power play. Michael Hutchinson getting starts. The power play, 53.2%. A lot of response on Twitter as well. We'll get to that as well. It's Sportsnet today. That's Matt. I'm George. Sportsnet 590, The Fan.
4: Sportsnet 590, The Fan.
2: Sportsnet today. Sportsnet 590 The fan. George Russick, Matt Marchese. Keep those texts rolling in at 590,
4: 590.
2: What's been the most disappointing thing to you to start this Maple Leaf season? Name and location, please. We'll get to them later on this hour. Top of the next hour, Jordan Dejani, NFL writer for CBS Sports. Week 7 already. Juicy 1 o'clock matchup, too. Chiefs and Titans. Expect a ton of points and your Buffalo Bills on a bye week after that disappointing loss on Monday night in Music City. I I was okay with the call, Matt. I just didn't like the fact that there wasn't any motion or any trickery from Brian Dayball. It was just run the ball straight ahead, Josh, get the first down. I know he slipped, but I would have liked a little bit of more something to that play.
3: Uh so <laughs> full disclosure. When that happened, I was tweeting up a storm just saying, you got to take the points and blah 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 and this and that. And everybody's tweeting me saying they made the right call, and I was just like, yeah, I know they made the right call. I was just really pissed off at the way the game ended. I have no problem with that actual call, George. Like I know we, you know, sometimes the razzle dazzle works and it and it did work on a two-point convert earlier, but Josh Allen when he gets that call, gets that first down 95% of the time probably. So it's just a tough way to tough way to lose a game and going into the buy. Um, they did that last year and they didn't lose a game until the AFC championship game. So we'll see what happens when yeah. they come back.
2: Yeah. We'll talk uh football with Jordan to at the top of the hour, but right now we're talking Pittsburgh penguins with the new radio voice of the penguins, Josh Getzoff. Josh. Good morning. How are you guys? Good morning. Thanks for having me on. No, thanks for jumping on. Um, From a personal level, how has it been calling games for the Pittsburgh Penguins? You, of course, are now in for the legendary Mike Lang, who has retired after a very illustrious career. Uh, What was your relationship or is relationship with Mike Lang, and how has it been being the voice of the Penguins on the radio side?
6: Well, um, first I'll answer the the relationship question. Mike and I are are extremely close, and I was really lucky that the second that I got here back in 2015 to do some – pregame and post-game uh, hosting on the radio side that Mike kind of took me under his wing immediately um, and we built a relationship right off the bat and that started to you know blossom a little bit more a couple years later when I started to fill in for him on the road um, and you know we, we obviously speak a lot away from the rink we speak a lot at the rink he gives me feedback constantly in a good way um, and you know, we, we've we built that relationship to a really strong personal level, but also professional level too. And when the time came in this last offseason where he made that decision, I mean, it, made a, it meant a lot to me that the faith and the trust that he had in my ability to take over, um, you know, meant more than probably anything else that anyone else had said to me to that point. So, you know, obviously I hold him in the highest of regard. And I've always said when people – you know, ask me about this situation that I've never ever and will never ever look at it as filling his shoes, because I think that's just an impossible task based on, you know, what you said, legendary voice, what he means to the team, the city, the league, uh, the sport. Um, You could check every box there. I've always just kind of looked at it to stand tall enough to fill my own shoes, which has been, uh, you know, a a work in progress the last few years, getting the opportunity to call games, but now getting to do it full time has been a blast here to start this season.
2: Josh, how tough is it uh, to call games on the radio? Because uh, being a radio guy like myself, and I, I'm not hating on television, but I feel like sometimes the the, the pictures uh, speak for themselves when guys are doing play-by-play. But on the radio, uh, it's theater of the mind. You have to be as descriptive as possible. How tough is it to do hockey specifically because it moves at such a fast pace on the radio?
6: Yeah, I would say that it's definitely, and you know, I'm with you. I I think that, you know, you give a lot of credit to our our brothers and and sisters on the TV side that make things happen on a daily basis, but they are able to rely on uh, the picture, painting the picture, so to speak, for what people are seeing as opposed to what they're hearing from their voices. And uh, some do it really well with allowing the game to breathe. But on radio, you don't always have that opportunity, but you still have to keep it in mind that it does have to breathe. You have to breathe. Uh, but you're right. I mean, descriptive words are the mo. Uh, I I kind of you know took some lessons from Mike and also another Mike, uh, Doc Emmerich, and have a big big book of uh, words that I you know like to go through every once in a while and just kind of get the wheels turning in my brain again. But a lot of times the day is spent just, you know, looking at names and trying to get different phrases in my mind to get things, you know, rocking and rolling. come the time of puck drops. So you don't have two or three words that you're just firing off again and again, because it is a fast game uh, and you don't want to rely on a couple words here and there. But I think that comfortability comes with, you know, more practice, more reps, as we all know in the broadcasting industry, that tends to make you improve on any front, let alone in play by play. So, uh, you're right I, I think that it's definitely the more challenging of the two but at the same time it, it is a blast to have that um, opportunity I guess to paint the picture of the game for those who can't necessarily see it.
3: I always say and maybe this is just the radio guy and me it's it's way easier to go from radio to tv than the other way around there's no question about that. Um, Josh uh, let, let's talk on the ice here with this Penguins team or I guess as it pertains to this team off the ice in that you know, injuries and and COVID have already been a factor for the Penguins. And, you know, the top three centers are out, plus their top netminder, And this is nothing new for this team, especially under Mike Sullivan. But I do feel like if there is a coach that is very well built to get a team through a stretch like this, it is Mike Sullivan because the experience he has with something like that.
6: 100% agree. Uh,
3: and, and really, guys,
6: when you look at the Penguins, you're right. I mean, this is a team that since I've been here before I got here, uh, definitely since Mike Sullivan's been here, has had some injuries, and not just injuries to uh, depth players. I mean, you know the deal. The Sidney Crosby injuries, the Evgeny Malkin injuries, Chris Letang's missed time, I mean, when they won the second of those two cups, they didn't even have Letang in the postseason that year. Um, so these are these are situations this team has dealt with time and time again, and really played extremely well in and a lot of that credit goes to Mike Sullivan he tends to do his best coaching as far as getting guys to buy into a system that doesn't necessarily produce um, high offensive opportunity uh, but does produce you know good results in the win-loss column uh, pretty frequently when he has his top dogs out of the lineup now this year's been a bit of an anomaly in that because the Penguins actually are scoring a lot but You know, a lot of of the talk in the preseason and in training camp from Sullivan was, you know, we're going to have to start to figure out a way to win games, you know, 3-2, 2-1 with some of the players we've had out of their lineup. And and obviously, we know that hasn't been the case early in the season with the the goal scoring they've had. But, you know, to your point, you look at the Penguins, 33-17-8 without Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin in their lineup since they came into the National Hockey League. So, I mean, you put that in the scope of an 82-game season, A lot of teams would probably like that record. That's a pretty good record, let alone without two of your best players, uh, two of the best players in the world, might I add. So um, the Penguins are, I wouldn't say comfortable with this, but they have a belief in their room that, you know, we've been through this before, we can figure this out. I think there's also a little jolt they get from seeing Sidney Crosby here on the ice in the last little bit, and I can tell you it's an optional skate here this morning in Pittsburgh, but Sid's out there. Uh, and he was out there getting some work done, uh, you know, on the ice with his skills coaches beforehand as well. So uh, he's close, obviously not going to play tonight, but I think that knowledge in the back of their mind gives them a little extra jolt as well. And, uh, you know, two zero and 2 through their first four games, I think you take that considering who you don't have.
2: Josh Getzoff is the radio play-by-play voice for the Pittsburgh Penguins joining us here on Sportsnet today. George and Matt, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Uh, A guy very familiar to our listeners was on our radio station before he took the job as the president of Hockey Ops, uh, Brian Burke, with the (laughs) Pittsburgh Penguins. Josh, how has the organization or the feel around the organization changed since Burkey's taken over?
6: I'll be honest with you guys, I, I didn't know Berkey at all, aside from listening to him on your program there at Hockey Central, which, by the way, got me through uh, the pandemic, so to speak, uh, just listening to that every single day. I love the conversation with him and uh, Jeff Marrick and Stu and Justin Bourne and that whole crew, that was, that was great uh, every day. But um, having him here, you know, first of all, as I'm sure you guys know, just the knowledge and the experience that he has in the game being around him, hearing the stories, hearing the insight on certain players in certain situations, that adds a whole different kind of level to the relationship that you start to build with the guy. And I'm a huge fan of Berkey since he's come here and what he's brought to the Penguins. But as far as the overall um, complexion of the organization, I wouldn't say that a whole lot has changed. And, and I give him and Ron Hextall a lot of credit for that because they came in saying that this wasn't a situation that needed a massive overhaul. I mean, you have to remember, yeah, it was a disappointing loss last year to the Islanders. The Penguins obviously had much bigger goals than getting knocked out in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But they did win that division last year with a ton of injuries. Uh, they, they do have a lot of those players returning this year. And they've started this season pretty strong as well. So I think, you know, Hextall and Burke, to their credit, when they came in here, didn't rip things up. Um, You know, I will say as a caveat to that, the the salary cap situation for the Penguins, in the sense that they're right at the limit, doesn't necessarily give them the ability to do all that much on that front. But uh, they didn't really rip things up. They didn't really do any kind of overhaul. They added some nice pieces, at least in the early going, return wise, with Dan Hynan and Brock McGinn um, and Brian Boyle as well. And and I think that, you know, they they got a little bit smarter as a team. They got a little bit stronger as a team, but they didn't get any. more truculent I guess to put it in the Berkey sense of things but at the same time I think they have made themselves a more difficult team to play against with the types of players that they've added and I would think you know over the next year couple years here with some free agents looming in the next two seasons in particular uh, we'll start to see a bit of a changeover as far as the dynamic for the roster because you know even in talking to Berkey he points out that the Penguins championships in 16 and 17 really when you look at the last decade essentially as Stanley Cup champions. They really were the anomaly. Yeah, they were fast, they were skilled, but every other team, you can point to fe- uh, speed and skill, but they also have a mix of size and grit also. Um, and that Penguin, those Penguins teams didn't have a whole lot of that, and I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see some more of that incorporated into uh, the black and gold in the not-too-distant future.
3: So, Josh, th- to start the year, the Pens are two zero and 2 haven't lost in regulation yet. They hammered the lightning in the first game and looked really good doing so. Um, the thing that stood out to me is that they've had 12 different goal scorers and the balanced scoring is obviously needed when you don't have guys like Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin in the lineup. But when they return to the lineup and Malkin, obviously a little bit further away than Crosby, does that balance need to continue for this team to have success or do they have enough at the top of the lineup with, you know, your Crosby's and your, um, your Gensels and Brian rusts and, and, Kasperi Kaepernick, do they have enough top-end talent, or does this team need balance scoring throughout the lineup to maintain a level of success?
6: Well, for sure they will need the balance to continue, and that's because, I mean, when you look at the Penguins, really the last you know, few years when they fell short of their goals in the Stanley Cup playoffs, they haven't gotten that balance scoring. They haven't gotten that depth scoring really at all. Um, they've re- relied on their top six, particularly their top line when they're healthy of uh, Gensel, Crosby, and Russ. Excuse me. And I I do think that this team is, uh, you know, going to be relying upon that continuing and I'll give them credit. They're not waiting for these guys to return. They're stepping up. Mike Sullivan, so many coaches talk about opportunity and next man up and all that stuff, but you know, it can conceivably be, you know, taken as just a bunch of fodder for what it is um, unless a team does actually have that come into play. And, And you mentioned it right there, guys, that 12 different goal scorers. I mean, no one saw that coming. The two zero two 2 start is pleasant enough uh, for the Penguins, but to have 12 different goal scorers, to have you know your defenseman shipping in. John Marino's looked like a totally different player here in year number three from year number two. Ditto for his partner, Marcus Pedersen. Uh, Brock McGinn, as I mentioned earlier, has been a nice add from the offensive side of things. Same with Dan Heinen. Uh, You're getting contributions from guys, you know, all up and down the lineup. Opening night, Brian Boyle scores in his first goal as a Penguin. And how often do you hear those kinds of storylines apply to teams that are having success, where it's, you know, a different guy every night? And that seems to be what the Penguins are doing right now. And, you know, what shouldn't be lost in in the conversation also. And I know they lost uh, 5-4 in in Florida in the second game of the season in overtime, but their goaltending has been really good. And at the end of the day with this team, if they are fully healthy ever uh, knock on wood for that, we'll keep our hopes up here. um, They are going to be made or broken by their goaltending and Tristan Jari, you know, we all know how last season ended. He's been extremely good to start this year. Um, And, you know, I am not sure if he's going to start against the Leafs or not tonight because the Penguins' schedule is a little funky with not having played the last few days and then not playing again until Tuesday night. Um, But You know, he's been great, and he's given them a great chance to win. He's really strong on opening night, uh, played very well against the Dallas Stars in here in a shootout loss on Tuesday, and I think that gives the team a jolt as well on top of the the production. But it's definitely been a really strong mix here to start this season, and, yeah, you're right, it's going to have to continue regardless of when and who comes back into the lineup.
2: Uh, Josh, before I let you go, it's the trade rumor that seemingly never goes away. How numb are Penguins fans to Evgeny Malkin trade rumors?
6: <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, it's every off season, right? At least as long as I've been here, um, and I don't think it will go away because you know, listen, he's a he's a big cap hit. He's now in the last year of that deal, um, but I think you know to Gino's credit, to Ron Hextall's credit. They both come out publicly and said that they want him here. They want to stay here. They want to finish their career here. I'm, I'm not putting it past Gino that, you know, at the end of his contract or contractual obligations here, you know, whether it's this year or after he re-signs, if he does re-sign and, you know, plays here a couple more seasons, that he wouldn't want to finish his career out in the KHL back in his hometown of Magnitogorsk. I mean, he, that means a lot to him, and I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case. But I would be surprised if he wound up in another uh organization and with another team because he loves it here uh the penguins want to keep him here and i I do really feel like they believe that if they can get this team back to full strength um they they do have a chance to make another run at this thing here so uh, and i know he believes that also so uh, i think yeah to your right to your point people are numb to it uh they're not going to go away those rumors but uh i do think that he will remain here for what it's worth
2: Josh Getzoff is the radio play-by-play voice for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Josh, thanks for this and all the best with the new gig, the new full-time gig.
6: <laughs> Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Have a good one.
2: Look at, uh, look at Josh, uh, giving, uh, Maddie, you, you were the producer of that show. Giving you credit I right there. We loved it hockey central. I was.
3: And, uh, had Josh on a few times actually too. very Josh is uh very gracious with his time with us. And uh, I appreciate the kind words about hockey central.
2: Look at that. And I feel like the Evgeny Malkin trade rumors have never like, they're just constantly just here. Oh, this is the year. This is the year. I just, uh I could see him playing in Russia before he plays for another NHL team. Yes.
3: I, I would 100% agree with that. He, he doesn't play. Another game for another NHL organization if it's if it's not Pittsburgh. I, I would totally agree
4: with that.
2: Um, Leafs play the Penguins tonight uh, in the back end of a back-to-back tonight in Pittsburgh. Leafs on a road trip, uh, getting out of Canada for the first time since, what, March of 2020. They're going to play a game outside of this country, uh, which is going to be exciting, I'm sure, for the team as well. Probably good for them too, Matt. Get yep. get away a little bit, right? Kind of recharge the batteries. Austin Matthews talked about it last night post-game as well. And uh, text line blowing up at five What's been the most disappointing thing to you to start off this Maple Leaf season? What do we have on the old text line?
3: This one's probably my favorite. Um, this is from Robin St. Catharines. The most disappointing thing to start the leave season this year is that they never changed the game ops people inside the arena. Same boring music, no excitement, and they and yet they had 19 months to figure this out. I mean, are the how about the fans just getting more involved in that building, George? Cuz it is it is like it's like a funeral home in some respects. Like it's it's quiet it's just, it's awful. It really is awful what's going on in that building.
2: Yeah, um, but that's what's changed, right? And you can tell me that uh, the energy isn't isn't there, but I don't know about you, but what about uh, Easter Sunday uh, a few years ago here when they went up one nothing on the Bruins in that game six on that Sunday afternoon when they had a chance to close them out? It was pretty damn electric in that building when they scored the opener, Matt. It,
3: it it's you know what it is george
2: it's very few
3: and far between maybe that's just the lack of success that they've had maybe that's it and the fans are saying ah, i'm not really going to get up for this but it is a it is a very quiet building even early on in the season compared to some of the other buildings that you know buffalo with 9000 people or 8000 people in the building the other night again uh, i can't remember who they were playing but that building sounded louder than what Scotiabank Arena has sounded earlier in the year. And there's half of the fans in that building.
2: Yeah, uh, there's a lot of Mitch Marner hate out there, too, on the text line. Uh, Mitch Marner's playing horrible because he rides the coattails of Austin Matthews, and if Matthews being hurt or not playing, it just makes Marner a bust. Like, I will ask John Tavares, and I feel like I don't like I don't know why I feel like the Mitch Marner apologist on this radio station. I, I, do, I don't know why I do. But I'm stunned by this, to- actually. What's that? Ask 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 John Tavares uh, if uh, if Mitch Marner isn't uh, a great player. He scored a career high in goals playing with him, and that's maybe that's what we need here. Why don't you pair Marner back with Tavares to mix things up? Mix things up starting tonight potentially, because even the coach criticized Marner and Matthews last night.
3: Yeah, we and we may see that. Um, you know, Luke Fox earlier in the show talked about you know switching up the lines where Nick Ritchie is potentially not playing on that top line as, you know, maybe halfway through the game tonight. Um, Speaking of one of the, you know, lineup changes or whatever, this is coming in from Bruce from Unionville. I think this is a, an interesting take. Um, The best Leaf player in the preseason by far hasn't gotten one NHL game. Josh Hosang made Bunting and Richie look good, setting them up and outplayed most of the Leafs to prove himself, yet he is the one wasting in the minors. He did score two goals In his Marley's debut, I do wonder if that's a guy that they look at. He's on an AHL-only deal right now, so it would take some... I don't know how many contracts the Leafs are up to, but it's not as simple as just calling him up. But I do wonder if things start to go a little sour here, if they do look at maybe signing him to a two-way deal and bringing him up at some point during the year. Because the offensive ability has always been there with Josh Hosang. It's been a thing of... You know, in between the ears, that's been the issue with him, or at least that's what we've been told. So, be curious to see what uh, what the future holds for him, potentially as a member of the Blue and White.
2: Uh, keep those texts rolling in at five ninety five ninety. Name and location. Uh, Twitter poll questions up as well. What has frustrated you the most so far this season for the Leafs? Uh, Nick Ritchie, the power play. Michael Hutchinson still getting starts. Uh, the power play. Fifty three percent of the way. Over three hundred votes. And uh, a lot of write-in votes too uh, for Mitch Marner. A lot of fans are still frustrated in Marner. Not enough for Mitch Marner. And Matthews can't play when it's physical. And also why they ride uh, the main goalie. Who cares if they play back-to-back games? And and that's one thing too, right? Like we're in this sports science and all this stuff is is analyzed uh, at nauseum. But I I don't know, Matt. I grew up watching uh, Patrick Waugh and Martin Brodeur pretty much play every single game. Jack Campbell this early in the season can't make back-to-back starts or you don't start your number one goaltender uh, at home against the Sharks. Like, I I don't get why potentially he can't play back-to-back games. It's early in the season. Yeah,
3: and that's been... I wonder... Well, if Mrazic's there, he starts one of them. So I, I, I just wonder at this point if they're trying to keep Campbell as... At least limit the chances of him getting hurt because they know that the Mrazek thing might be, you know, a little bit, he might be on the shelf a little bit longer than they anticipated. I wonder if that plays into it.
2: Yeah. And I, I'm sure it does. It's just frustrating that we're in year four of Michael Hutchinson and we talked about it. God bless Michael Hutchinson trying to make a living, being a professional goaltender in the NHL, but really we're still doing this. Like Martin Marinson is still floating around too. Like we're still doing this as an organization like, and, and, and when does it get to a point where, because you don't have any flexibility, when, and again, we don't have time for this. We can talk about this later. When does it get to a point where you have to trade one of the big four just to have flexibility, to make better moves, to have more depth on your roster? Because what's the one thing I kept harping on heading into this season? Matt, you and I had this conversation. The Leafs don't have a bottom six at four. They don't. They just don't. And if P- if you got to lean on Pierre Engvall to be an impact player, God bless your chances heading into the postseason. It, it's
3: it's certainly going to be an issue and something that we're going to talk about, but it's not something that they're going to overhaul now. They've made their bed. They're going to sleep in it. It's just we talked about having these four forwards that tie up all the cap space. That's where the issue comes down to, George. That, that's It's just plain and simple, and you can't build your roster Uh, Somebody texted in and we'll get, maybe we'll get to it later, but the Leafs are kind of built in reverse. They built from the forwards back instead of the back forwards. Right. And that's, that's clearly rearing its ugly head right now.
2: Yeah. It's, you can win the Stanley cup with a goaltending tandem. Like we've seen the Blackhawks do it. uh, We've seen the Penguins do it. Although they had Marc-Andre Fleury, who I think is pretty much a lock to get to the hockey hall of fame. But Uh, the Leafs just can't afford to pay a number one goaltender, and that's another one thing, a true number one goaltender, and they're few and far between. But look at Vasilevsky, what he did for the Lightning. You can tell me all day, you can talk to me about Kucherov and Point and Victor Hedman, but uh, Vasilevsky's the main reason why that team won back-to-back Cups. Watching that series against the Habs, he stole, like, uh, he just shuts things down. You just can't beat that guy, and he's the primary reason to me, Matt, why they won those back-to-back Cups. When you have that type of stunning goal, you just have such an advantage over your opponent.
3: I don't disagree with that Vasilevsky, world-class goalie, and, you know, how can you argue with the results at this point, George?
2: No, you you, you absolutely cannot argue with the results all right we got to run uh we have one more hour to go in the program we'll talk some football jordan to nfl writer for cbs sports and we'll talk to scott Lachlan, a host of the nhl morning skate on sirius xm nhl radio we'll ask him about the apathy surrounding the toronto maple leafs as well one more hour to go that's matt i'm george sportsnet 590 the fan It all happens in real time. Don't be
0: the last to know. Listen here first. Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet
3: 590 The Fan.
2: Two hours down, one to go. Sportsnet Today, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. George dressing Matt Marquise. Later on this hour, Scott Lockwood, host of the NHL Morning Skate on SiriusXM NHL Radio. Look around the Leafs. He that Leafs Penguins game tonight from Pittsburgh. Leafs playing in the good old US of A for the first time in forever tonight. Keep those texts rolling into 590, 590. Your most disappointing thing that you felt or seen so far with this Maple Leaf season? Um. There's a lot of Mitch Marner and there's a lot of Kyle Dubas and roster construction tweets going on and on the Twitter machine at RussicSN590 at MattyMar89 Matt.
3: Yeah, it's uh, the, the the tweets are the texts are coming in hot and heavy here. Um, somebody did text a uh, text us to say Marincin is in the Czech Republic. Um, the ghost of Martin Marincin around Halloween time.
2: Okay. But um, you get my point. Yes. Sorry.
3: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I agree with you. And we talked about Hutchinson. Um, somebody did text in the, they come in so fast, George, that um, it, it's, it's hard to follow, but somebody, somebody did text us and say, why is Jack Campbell not starting? And when will Morazic be back? kyle from new market well we don't know and that's the reason why we're struggling with jack campbell not getting to start last night and tonight but that leads me to believe that jack campbell is not starting it didn't start last night because morazic isn't coming back anytime soon
2: yeah uh not not the debut peter morazic was looking for pretty much got hurt in his first game as a maple leaf and uh that's it and we'll see if we can be back and We're in year four of Michael Hutchinson's starting games for the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is just incredible. You know what else was incredible? That Monday nighter between the Titans and the Bills. Jordan DeJani is an NFL writer for CBS Sports, and he joins us here on Sportsnet today. Jordan, good morning. How are you? Hey, hey, good
0: morning, guys. I'm doing well.
2: How are you? Uh, We're super. Okay, I have to ask you, because my co-host, Matt, diehard Buffalo Bills fan, the whole Zubaz pants, the whole Buffalo mullet. Okay, maybe not the mullet, but the Zubaz pants.
3: It's close. The
2: the mullet's
3: close.
2: The buffalo mullet, which is very just unkept on top, and then your neck is warm with the hair. But, Jordan, the call, okay? Where are you at with the call? Because I like the call. I just didn't like the play because I like Brian Dayball and he mixes in some motion and tries to confuse the defense. But just getting Josh Allen to plow through when he slipped and got stopped by the Titans. What did you think of the call and what did you think of Mike Vrabel's end of game clock management pretending like his defense is good? and can actually make a stop.
0: I was covering that game in the press box, actually. It was a lot of fun to watch a game in prime time. But, man, I don't know. First of all, I can't answer Mike the question about Mike Grable. I mean, that defense, it was the story of the game for the Titans, I think. I mean, they bent a lot, but they did not break. They held, they held the Bills to 2 of 5 in the red zone. I think that's what ultimately won the game. They lost a lot of guys due to injury. But, again, you know, they kind of stepped up when it mattered most. Now, as for the call on fourth down for the Bills, there's been a lot of talk this year about – whether to go or not to go on fourth down and being aggressive when you're on your own side of the field. And I'm not very interested in conversations like that. But that being said, when I saw that call, when I saw Josh Allen fail to get that third down on that scamper out to the left, there was no question in my mind that the Bills were going to go for it. And I think that was the right call. You're not going to play for overtime when you're five, basically five yards outside the end zone. You have just a couple of inches to convert. Uh, to get another new set of downs, there was no question, especially when you have a guy like Josh Allen, who is just physically gifted. And on 95% of those quarterback sneaks, he's going to convert. But that's kind of where it comes down to. You know, Jeffrey Simmons told us after the game that he knew to expect sneak because Josh Allen quickly ran up under center. You know, there was no discussion about what was going to happen. So to your point, I think what I would have done differently is is throw some guys in motion, Um, You know, have a hard count, obviously, not run up quickly under the center and, you know, basically give it away that you're going to be definitely going for this sneak. I think you have to disguise it just a little bit more than that. But apart from that, I think the Bills did everything right. Uh, They just were unlucky in this scenario.
3: 95% was exactly the number that I used when talking about Josh Allen converting on a play like that. The other thing too is we can, you know, the criticism is what it is, but you also have to go for it on fourth down because there's no guarantee that you're going to get the ball in overtime and the way the Bills defense played in that game, they couldn't stop Derrick Henry. So if Tennessee gets the ball in overtime, there's that game could be over anyway, so you have to take your chances because if the bills, could, it was a, it was like six inches that they needed and he, and Allen slips, whatever. But if they score a touchdown there, it puts a lot of pressure on the Tennessee Titans who needed to burn timeouts and everything. I, it's just, as a fan, it just kind of sucks that they go into the bye coming off a loss like that.
0: Right. Right. It's definitely a humbling experience. And yeah, to so back up your point, I've, I don't, I don't understand anyone kind of questioning that decision. You just rolled 79 yards down the field on eight plays in like two minutes, you know, the bills were going to score that touchdown in the minds of basically everyone in that stadium. And it just didn't come to fruition, but yeah, for the bills perspective, you know, for the prospects overall, I guess I should say it does really stink to go into the bye with that kind of loss. But at the same time, you've got to have to go back to the box score, go back to your game plan and see what exactly went wrong. You know, the Bills scored points in every single quarter except in the fourth. Like I mentioned, there were two of five in the red zone. That's something that they're going to have to correct if they want to end up hoisting the Lombardi at the end of this season. Another thing that I want to point out, too, is that, you know, the Bills statistically have the number one defense in the NFL. But in my mind, watching all these games, I don't think there's any real elite defenses in the NFL the way all these offenses are scoring points. We saw the Titans put up 34 points against the Bills, and I think Brian Tannehill had like four pass completions at halftime. So that's something to watch moving forward as well. But, you know, I think everyone around the NFL would agree that the Bills are still one of the best teams in the entire league. It's just they have to correct some things and, you know, march forward.
2: Jordan, we're hearing talk of Josh Allen, early season MVP, Kyler Murray, what he's doing in Arizona, Lamar Jackson getting into that conversation now, but what the hell does Derrick Henry have to do to be the MVP of this league? Run for 2,500 yards?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't think he can win MVP even if he ran for 100,000 yards in one season just because of the position he plays. So if you're a betting man, you know, I would make sure you don't put the mortgage payment on Derrick Henry to win MVP just because he's not a quarterback. We need to re- rename this award the, you know, QB recognition. But I mean, it's just absurd. I mean, Derrick Henry's on pace for 2,218 yards, 28 touchdowns. By the way, 2,105 yards is the record Eric Dickerson set in 1984. So he's on he's on pace to have the most rushing yards in one season. By the way, he already raced fifth. He had 2,027 yards last season and still couldn't get into the MVP conversations. Um, you know, Derrick Henry should 100% be in not only the top five but probably top three MVP candidates. We haven't seen a running back do what he does, and he's not your typical running back. We can't apply you know, the rules that we have for normal running backs. Derrick Henry, he's built different. He's bigger. He's faster. He doesn't wear down. He doesn't miss games due to injuries. Just for that reason, I think we should reward him with the MVP. He should definitely be a candidate and I'm excited to see what happens. You know, what if he can keep up this pace? What if he does shatter records? You know, what does that bring him into the top four, top three MVP candidates? I really think that he should be a legitimate candidate when it's all said and done.
3: All right, let's move on to uh, this past Thursday and the Browns come into the game with no Kareem Hunt, no Nick Chubb, no Baker Mayfield. Their offensive line is banged up. Odell Beckham Jr. just disappeared and they get uh, uh, Jarvis Landry back from injury. And yet they come out, they beat the Broncos who look just dreadful on offense. But the question still remains about Baker Mayfield and the future in Cleveland. Josh Allen got the big extension with the Bills. Lamar Jackson is going to get a big extension with the Baltimore Ravens. Is Baker? Because I, I, I think he gets extended, but is he on a significantly less, a uh, shorter term deal with less money? I, I'm thinking maybe like a four year pact or three year pact at like thirty five million, and he still got a show because the Browns are are pretty decent, but it does feel like they are kind of limited because of the quarterback.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting conversation for sure. And it's unfortunate for Baker Mayfield that he suffered the injury that he did because it's not necessarily one that knocks him out for the season, but it's one that's going to hinder his progression and his performance as a quarterback moving forward for the rest of the season as well. So, that kind of stinks because you're when you're not at tip-top shape, you're not going to be able to, you know, perform to the best of your ability and solidify it in the minds of your bosses that you're worth that lucrative extension that could potentially reset the market. So, you know, what you brought up, I think was, was probably a a good point. It's definitely not going to be a long-term deal like we saw with Josh Allen, but maybe it's something where they can front load a four slash five year deal. Um, Because in my mind, I do think that the Browns brass is sold on Baker Mayfield. So he's going to get that deal. Um, But like you brought up, I'm interested to see exactly how it's structured. But, I mean, at this rate, with the injuries he's had, he's obviously not going to be able to reset the market. And I don't think he's done things like Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen uh, to deserve resetting the market either. So we'll see how he looks when he returns to the field. We'll see if he can battle through. And even if he's not winning a Super Bowl this year, there's things he can do as a leader uh, that can convince the Browns brass, again, that he is the guy for the future.
2: Jordan Dijani, NFL writer for CBS Sports, joining us here on Sportsnet today. George and Matt, Sportsnet 590, the fan. In all these uncertain times we live in right now, Jordan, how jarring is it that we talk about a Cincinnati Bengals team that actually won a game they were supposed to, and they can actually stop the run, one of the best run defenses in all the NFL. Oh, and by the way, they have an explosive offense with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. I feel like we're living in this bizarre world where I think the Cincinnati Bengals are a team that potentially could be a wild card in the AFC. I,
0: I'm glad you brought them up. I think the Bengals are one of the most underrated storylines in the NFL right now. All of a sudden, they're sitting at 4-2 and two and have a big matchup against the Ravens. I believe whoever wins that matchup is going to be sitting atop the AFC North. So maybe if they win that game this Sunday, then they're not going to be underrated no more. But you brought up the, the matchup against the Lions. You know, this was, a, this was a game in Detroit. A lot of people were picking the Lions to maybe have a, a chance to upset the Bengals. Of course, that did not come to fruition. It's pretty incredible. You brought up the run defense. DeAndre Swift was the Lions' leading rusher. He rushed for just 24 yards and a touchdown uh, on 13 carries. And that's very notable because, as we know, the Ravens have one of the top rushing offenses in the league. It doesn't matter if it's Le'Veon Bell, Latavius Murray, any of those guys running the ball, Devontae Foreman, uh, Devontae Freeman. It doesn't matter. They're being able to find success behind this offensive line. So the Bengals' rush defense is obviously going to be the X factor coming into this matchup. I expect it to be a close one. But, yeah, like you mentioned, it's been a minute since we've talked about the Bengals as a legitimate playoff team.
3: And on the other side, the Ravens, you know, the the passing attack to me is what has been the most impressive. I I was I was not big on Lamar Jackson and his arm. Sure he had arm strength, but his accuracy, you know, wasn't all that great. He relied on a lot of shorter passes to to make connections with his receivers or tight ends. But now I feel like we're seeing a totally different level of Lamar Jackson, one that could very well be the MVP at the end of the season. Again,
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, his arm is the biggest reason I think he's a legitimate MVP candidate right now. I mean, and the stats kind of back up with what we're seeing with our naked eyes. I mean... I think he came into this year with one 300-yard passing game in the regular season, and he's already had two, including 400 yards against the Colts in that incredible comeback victory on Monday night football. So this Ravens team, man, you you can't say enough about them because the amount of adversity they've had to overcome during the early goings of the season, losing basically their top 100 running backs due to injury in the span of one week, um, a lot of inconsistency on the offensive line, injuries to the wide receiving court, and Lamar Jackson has just been able to rise above it all. And on the flip side, this defense has been better than we anticipated as well. With Adape Owe, the rookie out of Penn State, looks like he's an up-and-coming, legitimate pass rusher in this league. So you can't say enough about this Ravens team. Not only is Lamar Jackson, in my mind, a legitimate MVP candidate, he's throwing the ball better than he has his entire career, but this Ravens team is also a legitimate contender for a Lombardi trophy as well.
2: Jordan, and uh, the Arizona Cardinals were a team uh, heading into last week. It felt like uh, here's their spot where they're going to lose a game. Everything was stacked up against them. You don't have your head coach and play caller. Uh, your center's gone. Your number one tight end is lost to the season of the injury. You don't have your best pass rusher in Chandler Jones. Everything was set up for failure, and they go into Cleveland and absolutely wax the Browns. Uh, how much respect are you putting on the name of the Arizona Cardinals?
0: More and more each week. You know, if I was power ranking NFC teams, I don't know if they're going to be in my top two yet, Uh, even though they are the lone remaining undefeated team. I get that that's crazy, but I still want to see this team face uh, even more adversity and maintain a certain level of consistency as we progress through the regular season. But to their point, I mean, yeah, I definitely picked this as a spot where they were going to lose, but even without their head coach and so many players due to injury and COVID-19 protocol, they were able to win by 23 points on the road. road. That's why Kyler Murray is a legitimate MVP candidate as well. He had four touchdowns, missed just 10 passes last Sunday. This Cardinals team is very, very, very good. And another spot where I think the detractors are going to try to point out for them to lose in is on Thursday, October 28th, um, which is the next week against the, or yeah, the next week against the Packers. That'll be an interesting game to see if Aaron Rodgers can kind of dethrone this top team in the NFC. But I mean, I think the the front office has done such a good job with how they they constructed this team and on free agency. They brought in veterans, which was a criticized move. The defense looks a lot better. The the coaching staff is doing a good job. It's kind of funny because Cliff Kingsbury was a candidate that we saw as one maybe being on the hot seat entering this season, and all he's done is completely ball out with his quarterback. So. You've got to give credit to this Cardinals team. I mean, they look like they could finish the regular season with the best record in the NFL, just looking at their schedule. But, again, the regular season obviously doesn't matter. It's what you do in the playoffs. And this will be Kyler Murray's first trip to the playoffs. And is he going to be able to out scheme, out out-athlete guys like Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, maybe Russell Wilson? That's kind of the question that I have in my mind right now when it comes to the Cardinals
3: it does feel with the Cardinals like, you know, we when Cliff Kingsbury came in to the NFL, all we heard about was Cliff Kingsbury's this great offensive mind. Look what he did at Texas tech and look what he's done with offenses and all this hoopla that surrounded him. And the first two seasons, it was kind of just like, okay, I, it, sure. It kind of looks like it's there, but now we're really seeing this passing attack kind of take it to that next level because we can talk about, kyler murray's athleticism and how great he is you know when he's scrambling and he can run and his rushing numbers are not nearly as much as they were last year and this team has become a real good passing offense and something that we hadn't really seen at least not to this extent since cliff kingsbury came into the league right now it's a good and, you know,
0: while we saw Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray improve each year, you know, Cliff Kingsbury didn't necessarily come and take the league by storm, like you mentioned, which is probably not fair of us to ask. But now I think he's set up better than he has. He has more pieces for his offensive scheme than he ever has had. And then, of course, on the other side of the ball, he has probably the best defense that he's ever had. I mean, Getting a guy like Rondale Moore in the draft is such a fun player to watch, and he can do so many different things in misdirection and reverses and just running patterns like a normal wide receiver. And he's also a great decoy as well, as defenses are finding out about right now. Adding A.J. Green was kind of big, too. He's not a must-start player in fantasy football, but he's still that dynamic deep threat that Kyler Murray's going to take a chance on once or twice a game. Um, and then I, I like the running backs as well. I think Chase Edmonds is the guy who knows this system very well. He's versatile. And then adding a very motivated James Conner as well, who can wear a couple different hats in the offense, is important too. And, and they made some additions on the offensive line as well. Like this is the, the best, the most, you know, whatever you want to call it, well-constructed Cardinals team that, that Chris Kingsbury's ever had. And it's paying dividends now.
2: Yeah, the speed at receiver and their ability to be physical too with James Conner, and I I think that was really highlighted in that win in Los Angeles against the Rams where they just pounded the football in the second half just to kill the clock. Um, Jordan, which team has been more disappointing in your mind this season, Washington or Miami?
0: That's a great question, and I definitely got to lean towards Washington because this was a defense that we expected to be number one in the NFL. They they were number two last year. They were going to surpass the Los Angeles Rams with the additions they made. You know, everything was on the up and up. They were going to have the number one defense in the NFL. Fast forward, and we're now six, seven weeks into the regular season, and they have the second worst defense in the NFL. That is one of the biggest surprises so far of the 2021 NFL season, in my mind, is how bad the Washington defense has been. From the front four not getting enough pressure, they're still one of the best defensive lines in the NFL. But the linebacking core has been atrocious. The secondary has been one of the worst in the NFL. We haven't seen those additions really pay dividends yet for Washington. It's shocking the kind of fall in production that this defense has had. Now, you can't really blame the offensive side of the ball because they're working with the backup quarterback and they're trying their best to to get the ball into the hands of their playmakers. But the defense was really supposed to be the thing that kept this ship afloat. And it absolutely has not done that yet so far.
3: So you you mentioned the, the backup quarterback there. Ryan Fitzpatrick is probably coming back at some point this season. Does he automatically reclaim that starting job um the, again, these are two journeyman guys that are at quarterback, and Washington is certainly going to explore options to go in another direction next season. but is Fitzpatrick a lock to to get that job back and does that help the defense at all when he does come back because maybe they can actually sustain drives for a change? I know Heineke came in and was you know pretty solid the first couple of games, but He's kind of come back down to earth uh, over the last few weeks.
0: In my mind, he's absolutely 100% a lock to to take over the starting job when he gets back healthy. Taylor Heineke had a chance to prove that he was a legitimate starter. And, you know, let's say he found a lot of success, then I think he would have retained the job. And it looked like that's kind of where direction was pointing when he defeated the Giants on that crazy Thursday night game in his first official start. You know, but I mean, then from then, I think he's one in three as the starter. So Taylor Heineke is like a really fun player, and he's a player I really want on my roster, but not as my starting quarterback, right? I think he's a great backup. He's a hard worker. He's got some of that Heineke magic that we've all been exposed to over the past year and a half. But I really like uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick in terms of his consistency. Um, in terms of his experience to to, re, to take over my offense when he's back healthy. And, you know, to answer your question, maybe that is something that can help the defense. Having more consistency on offense and someone who doesn't turn the ball over might, you know, bring some kind of consistency to the other side of the ball as well. I don't think it's going to be enough. I don't think Taylor Heineke and his fault have anything to do with how bad the defense has been. But maybe it's something – you know, the reinsertion of Ryan Fitzpatrick into the starting lineup, maybe that's something that can kind of bring this team back together so that they can try to make an attempt at winning the division or maybe a wild card.
2: Jordan, before I let you go, um, are we going to have any more clarity on this Deshaun Watson situation? Because clearly the trade rumors are all over the place. It feels like the Dolphins are pretty much going to mortgage their entire future to get this guy, but Will he be even able to play this year in the NFL? What is it taking so long to have some clarity on whether or not Deshaun Watson is going to get this long suspension that we're all anticipating from the NFL?
0: No, you're not going to get any more clarity. Um, Especially with the trade deadline looming, I would be absolutely flabbergasted if the NFL was able to hand something down before that November 2nd deadline. You're not going to have any kind of clarity before that trade deadline. So if a team like the Dolphins really wants him, then – they're going, to be, they're going to have to be aggressive with how they pursue them and just kind of bite the bullet in terms of the negative PR and also whatever looming suspension may be down the line as well, or even punishments coming from a criminal or civil court, whatever that may be. So we're not going to find any clarity on that. But, you know, I'll say this. I would not be shocked at all if he's not moved. You know, we saw that report about you know Miami looking at Deshaun Watson, which is going to be which excites all of us because we think it's going to be an end to this mess in terms of what's going on on the field in Houston. But don't be shocked if he's not moved at all. I, in fact, I think that's more likely. But um, when when we look at this situation at large, and you ask me the question, when, when are we going to see an end to this? I have no idea. I mean, it might be like next off season, to be honest with you. And I'd have to be guessing in terms of why it's taking so long. But, all, but in my mind, I think it's because if the NFL blinks first and it turns out that Deshaun Watson actually is a legitimate sexual predator and is facing legitimate prison time and the NFL only handed him, you know, what, an eight game, 10 game, the whole season suspension, then obviously that's going to look really bad on the league. They're trying to conduct and finish up their own investigation, and it's kind of tough when you also have law enforcement doing the same thing, and you're both looking at each other wondering, well, who's going to blink first? Who's going to get the first punishment? When exactly is this civil stuff going to take place? So we're kind of at a standstill, and we have been for a few months now, but I'm no lawyer. That's just kind of how I view the situation. You picked the terrible representative to shed light on, on the legal system, but at the same time, that's kind of how I see the situation.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's incredible uh, that the the price that it'll cost to acquire a guy that you have no idea when he'll actually make a start for your NFL right. team. Jordan Dejaney, NFL writer for CBS Sports. Jordan, great stuff. Thanks for this.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Have a good show.
2: Um, do you think it's a lock, Matt, that he is a Dolphin? Because I feel like, and there's whispers, the Eagles are a team that are kind of flying under the radar with this Deshaun Watson trade rumors.
3: Well, the Eagles are certainly going to have the draft capital to trade for him, considering that they might be they might have two picks in the top five. One of them is the Miami Dolphins pick, which would be very ironic. But I feel like Miami is the destination if he does go anywhere. It does. And, I believe that Tua he has a no trade. Just goes the
2: other way, right? Tua's done. He, He's going to the Houston Texans in that trade. Yeah, it has
3: to be. Um, I can't see how Houston. Doesn't unless there's another deal to be made where Tua goes elsewhere and that deal deal. is in the works already. I I don't know. I don't know what you get at this point for Tua. He's certainly not going to get what you invested in him. But I believe that Watson has a no trade clause and he would accept the trade to Miami. Was the sound of it that I remember hearing? But it's just a really wants to
2: be a Dolphin. That's the
3: destination for him. And it's a tough – like you mentioned, it's a tough trade to make if you're – like for Houston, it's an easy trade to make because you have your price. It's set. But for the team trading for Watson, what happens if you don't have him for a year after you've invested that capital? What is he – and it may be two years because he's probably not going to play this year and there's a chance that he doesn't play next year. So that's a lot of sunk cost into a guy that you have no idea when he's going to make a start for you or what player he's going to be – when he comes back. So super interesting, but who knows what happens here?
2: And obviously Jordan brought up the great point. We don't know what's going on with the investigation with Deshaun Watson. There could be ugly details that surface that the guy never plays in the NFL again, and that would be fine by everybody if, in fact, he is a sexual predator. So I have no idea what eventually will turn out to be in this Deshaun Watson situation. But we talk about the sporting side of things. Uh, And and if I'm a team, I want no part of Deshaun Watson on my franchise. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, but I just sometimes I just don't think it's worth the headache. And in this situation, if I'm the Dolphins, a pass and let's try to develop a guy you took so hard. In the NFL draft. All right, one more segment to go, Matt. I uh, will get to some of your texts as well. The most disappointing thing to you to start this Maple Leaf season 590, 590 name and location. We'll tee up that Leafs and Penguins game. Look around the NHL with Scott Lachlan. He's the host of the NHL Morning Skate on Sirius XM NHL Radio. We'll do that next. That's Matt. I'm George. It's Sportsnet today. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Sportsnet 590, the fan. <laughs>
4: Sweet. Living in this big
3: blue world with my head up in outer space. I know I'll be A-O-A-O-K. Sportsnet
2: A-O, Sports A-O, 590, the fan, George Russick, Matt Marchese here. Okay. So another 15 minutes or so. Leafs in Pittsburgh tonight. Playing the back end of a back-to-back A-O, to tee that up and look around the NHL. Scott Lachlan's the host of the NHL Morning Skate on Sirius XM NHL Radio. Scott, good morning. How are you? Great, guys. How are you today? We're good. Um, What do you think's been the most disappointing start to the Maple Leaf season so far?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, uh, I think they would like to have a few more goals scored by a few more key players. Uh, Now, missing Matthews to start didn't help their cause. I think when you look at it, George, I mean, in the last 16 years, you you put together the collective team uh, goal percentages or shooting percentages. And this team right now is struggling, as we know, it's just over six percent as a team. So they're getting shots, they're getting opportunities, they're just not going in. You, you look at last night, I mean with a buck 20 left to play and you've got Austin Matthews taking that drop pass, and you're thinking, well, normally that's probably as as good as in the back of the net. Aiden Hill came up with a big-time glove save on that, uh, on that opportunity for Austin Matthews, and, and that goes by the wayside, and they lose the game. So, look, they're getting their opportunities. They're getting shots on goal. Uh, some of the big guns just aren't firing right now. It's going to take some time, and like I say, when you start the season without Austin Matthews for three games, it's going it's to eventually catch up to you. So they're, they're going to come around because the opportunities are coming, but right now they're certainly not going into the net uh, as far as what the big guns are expected to do.
3: You know, Scotty, we just actually got word Elliot Friedman just tweeted that Chris Letang is now in COVID mm-hmm. protocol and will not play tonight. I mean, if there was an opportunity for this Leaf team to get get off this slide here, it's got to be against the Pittsburgh team with no Crosby, no Malkin, no Rust, no Carter, no Letang, no Jari. I mean, if they can't win tonight, we're, they're, even on the back end of a back-to-back, we're going to be having a different conversation tomorrow.
1: Absolutely 100% correct, Matt. I think when you look at it, I mean, this Penguins team has done well out of the gate. They're 2-0-2. One of the games they dropped and one of the points they dropped was actually that game uh, in Florida where they let a 4-2 lead get away with about half a third period left to go, and Florida eventually came back to win it in overtime. So this team, I think, has exceeded expectations, if only for four games, Pittsburgh. But just because of the reasons you documented, now you throw Chris Letang in the COVID-19 protocol, and he's not going to play tonight. Uh, Again, this Penguins team has been off for a few days now. This Penguins team is ripe for the picking based upon who they're missing. So if the Leafs are going to get right and have some of these big guys that I alluded to earlier step up and start putting the puck in the net a little bit more consistently from Matthews to Marder to Tavares, I think tonight would be the night because Pittsburgh does look to be very much undermanned.
2: Scott, we we talked about this during the show. Uh, This is the fourth year we're watching Michael Hutchinson uh, start games and goal for the Toronto Maple Leafs for various reasons. Is this just a case where the Leafs have just failed as an organization to develop any sort of goaltending from within? Or it's just a case that quality goaltending it it's such a just it just isn't out there when it comes to number threes in this league. It's just those guys are very hard to come by and goaltending is just at a it's a it's a position where there's just few and far between where there's really good elite goaltenders.
1: Yeah, probably a bit of both, I think, George. I mean, they haven't had a long, you know, successful history of developing goaltenders, at least in recent seasons. Uh, They've had to go elsewhere to bring guys in to get the job done, even going back to, you know, when they did bring in Freddie Anderson from Anaheim and gave him that five-year deal, and they were kind of solidified for, for those handful of years. So, uh... that's a work in progress in terms of developing somebody uh... and i also think there is something to your second point as well that there is a lack of goaltending depth around the league we see a lot of teams that maybe have you know uh, two goaltenders uh, but if you're going to go three deep well, you're kind of taxing things just a little bit And i think toronto's in that circumstance right now and although michael hutchinson last season maybe showed a little bit more uh... this season of course you know jumping in there last night and not playing particularly well has to be of concern you know, because Peter Morazic's been a guy who's been banged up a little bit here and there throughout the course of his career. I think Jack Campbell's been more or less, I don't want to say a revelation, because he really turned the corner out there in Los Angeles. And now he's been so good with the Leafs and so consistent with the Leafs that everybody's wondering what his next contract is going to look like. But. I think deep down, I mean, they've got two goaltenders when Marazic's healthy. That third guy, though, that may have to jump in on occasion is going to be a question mark. I mean, you look at Edmonton, they had to go to Miko Koskinen in back-to-back games. Now, last night was a huge one, so I understood why he played in Arizona on Thursday and why he played in that big game in Vegas last night. But with Mike Smith out, their number three, Stuart Skinner, a third-round pick from 2017, he hasn't even been an option. They didn't want to use him last year. Apparently, they don't want to use him again this year. So, it speaks to your point, I think, George, that when you have to go three deep in an organization when it comes to goaltending, you're probably pushing it just a little bit.
3: Well, and, and then I guess there has to be some criticism to, you know, if Miko Koskinen can play back to back games, can Jack Campbell not do that? Like, is yeah. that, and, and that goes to the issue of having two guys that are pretty injury prone or at least have been over the course of their career. That you probably need some depth
1: in in that
3: position, especially.
1: I think so, and and I I even wonder too. I, I even wondered, you know, going back to last night, would they have thought of playing, you know, playing Jack Campbell at home? and then given Hutchinson a game in Pittsburgh tonight, but normally you'd say, well, Crosby, Malkin, the whole bit, Letang, uh, that might be a little bit much. What are they thinking about? But given what we talked about earlier, Matt, the fact is that they are so much undermanned right now, Pittsburgh, and now you throw Latang into the mix, you thought, well, this is not the Pittsburgh Penguins, although they're off to a very surprisingly good start, uh, given their circumstance. This is not the Penguins team that we've come to, come to see over the years and fear from an offensive standpoint. So I even wondered whether or not they gave any thought to, to going with Campbell last night and then coming back with Hutchinson tonight and kind of rolling the dice in Pittsburgh in a road game. Uh, I don't know. It, it, again, it, when you get down to number three, uh, some teams can do it. Most teams can't. And I think in the end, these are valuable points certainly that you give up.
2: Scott Lachlan host of the NHL Morning Skate on SiriusXM XM NHL Radio. Joining us here on Sportsnet today, George and Matt, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Um, there's no chance Mark Bergevin gets fired anytime soon, right, Scott? Despite the fact that the team's <laughs> 0-5 has looked terrible. But uh, getting to the Stanley Cup final has bought that guy a ton of time, has it not? Even though he's in the final year of his deal?
1: I'm just laughing, George, because every day I wake up and the first thing I do when I go on to Twitter is I see what's trending, and usually Patrick Waugh's trending. Okay, so when Patrick Waugh's trending, you know what that's in reference to? Uh, Yeah, after every Canadian's loss, and there have been plenty so far this season. I don't think he's in danger of losing his job uh, in season. Uh, It has happened before in Montreal, but that was a while ago. Uh, He's been there for 10 years now. Do I think he's coming back next season? Probably not, or else I'd think that they would have come to some sort of agreement by now. Uh, so as to him not be in the final year of his contract and more or less be considered to be a lame duck general manager. So I think he's safe for the rest of the season. I, I have some serious doubts. Uh, If they can make another run somewhat unexpectedly, maybe even more shockingly this time around than last time, you know, given Weber's absence and obviously missing Carey Price at this point, and with all that they've had going on there, uh, I think it would be even more surprising if they made a run in the playoffs, if they, in fact, even get there. Uh, But to answer your question, no, I I think he's safe for the rest of the season. Uh, Beyond that, though, I think they're probably looking for somebody else, and henceforth, why we see Patrick Watt trending, I guess, almost on a, a daily basis in Canada. So,
3: Scotty, with that being said, you know, a lot has been made of Mark Bergevin or or sorry, more more specifically, Jeff Molson, not maybe offering him a contract or um, not offering him enough money. What if Mark Bergevan just looks at this situation with the issues with Carey Price right now, obviously not on the roster and taking some personal time with the injury to Shea Weber and the potential cap issues that they might have? What if Mark Bergevan just looks at this and goes, you know what? I'm done here. Maybe I do want to go to LA where I can go to the grocery store and nobody knows who I am, where I can, you know relaxed by the beach instead of having to endure these Canadian winters. Like what if Mark Bergevin just doesn't want to be here past this season? Like that hasn't been talked about a lot either.
1: Well, Matt, I mean, that's, that's jumping before you get pushed. Right. And, and maybe that could present itself. I mean, I guess ultimately guys, the guy's been there for 10 years, right? I mean, what other general manager in pro sports, especially in the NHL is able to stay in a job for a decade I mean, it's unprecedented the length of time he's been given there. Uh, I guess if you were a Bill Tory way back when and you were at the New York Islanders and you were in the midst of winning four straight Stanley Cups, you could say you could be there for 10 Sam Pollock with the four straight Cups that the Canadians won uh, in the late 1970s. That would speak to longevity of like a decade long. But beyond that, though, this is almost unprecedented that a guy could stick around that long, especially, you know, they, they got there a couple of months ago and made the run, but not to the expectations over the last decade like Montreal fans had expected. So, uh, look, he's had a really good run. I think it's probably coming to an end after this season. Uh, Will he get a job next season, to your point, Matt, somewhere else, and maybe think that the grass is greener somewhere else with a new opportunity? He might. I mean, he's made some changes to that team that certainly sparked them, uh, you know, into the playoffs. And I know they barely snuck in, but they made the, the, the almost Cinderella-like run, and he brought in Ducharme, and he was the coach-in-waiting after Claude Julien the whole bit. So uh, I think he's done some good things, especially here in the last year or two. Uh, but for the most part, he's had 10 years. So if he finds himself, unfortunately, unemployed at the end of this season, whether it's of his choosing or the team's doing, uh, I think he's had 10 years, and that's probably as much as you can expect in this day and age.
2: Um, Scott, what, what are the expectations for the Seattle Kraken? Because the Vegas Golden Knights obviously broke the mold for expansion teams. Like, what is the reasonable expectation for the Seattle Kraken who have their home opener tonight against the Canucks?
1: Well, George, I can't wait to see the arena, first and foremost, right? I know Coldplay was in there at the Climate Pledge Arena last night. Apparently, it's state of the art. I guess they've got a horticulturalist inside the arena because they've got grass growing inside. It's really environmentally friendly. Uh, Anyway, having said that, for the team on the ice, uh, Seattle is off, yeah, to a middling start at best. Uh, I think that we knew this team was going to be offensively challenged a lot of nights, and I think that that's what we've seen so far. I think that we know that they've got to depend on their goaltending, namely uh, Philip Grubauer to be somewhat close to what he was last season with the Avalanche, for them to be uh, in the mix there in the Pacific Division. I mean, we, we haven't lost sight of the fact that we think Edmonton and Vegas or Vegas and Edmonton are the class of that division. I've always thought that the race is on for third because I thought you could throw a Vancouver, a Los Angeles, a, a Calgary, uh, even a Seattle uh, into the mix, and now you've got San Jose off to this remarkable start at 4-0 after the win in Toronto last night. I think the race is on for that third spot because I think the West is only giving three playoff positions to the Pacific to begin with. Can Seattle hang in the race? I think they can. Uh, Again, now they're going to get home for a couple of games at least. They're going to have that give them a bit of an initial push. I think deep down, though, game in and game out, we always expect that this team is going to have a a hard time generating offense and they're going to have to win a whole bunch of 2-1, 3-2 hockey games the rest of the way. I think they're going to be more than competitive, uh, but I think it would have been foolhardy for anybody to think, hey, this is going to be Vegas. All of a sudden they're in the playoffs and they're making a run. Heck, they might even get to the Stanley Cup final. I think we all realize that that was a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing that happened out there in Sin City.
3: So as it pertains to Seattle there is also an adjustment period here for these guys in coming together and being a part of this because you know the last season and a half has been really strange right the players so i think consistency on rosters has been really important because of all the issues that we've had to deal with with covid and and all the and everything that goes with it so can we really make an assessment on Seattle uh, maybe, maybe we need like thirty games for for us to really have an idea of what they actually are.
1: Well, that's a good point, Matt. I think in this day and age, guys, I think, I think people push the panic button way too soon anyway. And and we were talking about this on our program, Gord Delik and I, earlier this week. I mean, if you get to February and you lose five in a row like Montreal has, maybe it doesn't get as much play. I know it's Montreal that would get some play, but not to this extent. But when you're the only team in the league that doesn't even have a single point, it gets, you know, magnified tenfold. And you're right, Matt. I mean, you know, give it 20, 30 games, find out what you've got. You know, take some inventory on your team. If you have to make some adjustments along the way, whether it be for the short-term gain or, or for the long-term, then Ron Francis is going to try to go out and do that. I mean, last night, the Leafs lose a hockey game and somebody throws a sweater on the ice? Like, are you kidding me? Five games into an NHL season? Uh, obviously not thinking too highly uh, of that sweater itself. But that, that's kind of the day and age we live in, that if you don't play well out of the gate... And, and, and let's, let's face it, the old adage is you can't win the Stanley Cup in October, but you sure as heck can lose it. I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't make a lot of Edmonton's win over Vegas last night, because that was huge, guys. That gives them an eight-point bulge on the team that they think that they're going to have to hold off to win the division title. That was a huge victory for Edmonton. That being said, we're still just, what, a week and a half into the NHL campaign here, and there's a long, long way to go. So to your point, Matt, yeah, let's wait 20, 30 games, and we'll get a, a real good, clear indication as to where the crack cracking or rat. But on paper when we saw this team be selected and all the moves that ron francis has made or did not make i think we knew that this team was going to be challenged offensively
2: scott before i let you go uh this one's for maple leaf fans i'm going to give you an over under total right now on zach hyman goals for the rest of the season (laughs) what you've seen already 34 and a half goals. If I gave you an over under, which way are you leaning this morning?
1: Oh boy. Yeah. That's, that's a good question. I, that's, that seems to be right around the mark. I think he's getting 30. Uh, I'm going to go with the under, uh, I'll say he's getting 30. Uh, and again, you know, some nights he'll be with McDavid, uh, some nights he won't, but that doesn't matter. Edmonton's so deep up front now that you can play Zach Cassian on the third line, which is where he's supposed to be playing anyway. Uh, before, when they didn't have the depth, especially on the wings, uh, now that they brought Hyman in, and now that they've got Yamamoto starting to emerge... Now you've got some more depth up there in your top six where you can slot a Cassian back down into that third-line role, and and he's off to a great start, got the game-winning goal again last night for the Oilers. Uh, so I think, look, I mean, Hyman's obviously a guy who can play up and down in your top three lines, but mainly will be first- or second-line duty for him. And because of the guys he'll be playing with, we've seen it already, he's starting to reap the benefits here. He's on an offensive tear here to start the season. So I'm going to go under 34-and-a-half, George, but I, I, I think he's, he's going to be pretty close to that number.
2: Ooh, Scott Lachlan, host of the NHL Morning Skate on SiriusXM NHL Radio. Scott, great stuff. Thanks for this. Anytime, guys. Thanks. Matt, over under thirty four and a half goals for Zach Hyman this season. I think it's under, and it's only because he has a history you, of getting you're hoping? hurt.
3: No, well, no, it's just I, he has a history of getting hurt. So I just don't, I don't see him playing enough games to get to that number. But his goals per game over the course of eighty two will be over thirty four and a half.
2: Okay, I like it. Uh, would well, you think that would make Lee fans angry if he scored like 40 this season and played the entire year? George, somebody threw
3: a jersey on the ice after five games. I absolutely yeah, right. think that's going to make them angry. <laughs>
2: would you prefer some waffles instead of the jersey thrown on? Uh,
3: Belgian waffles,
2: yes. Okay, uh, let's wrap up the poll question at RussickSN590 and Maddie Mar 89 at Fan590. Uh, What has frustrated you the most so far this season? Nick Ritchie, the power play. Hutchinson getting starts. 52.7% saying the power play. And, Matt, we just got about a minute to go here. Not even. uh, You you talked about it. You you gave Scott the breaking news. Elliot Friedman tweeted it out. No Chris Letang tonight. No, obviously, Malkin or Crosby or Jari. The Penguins are ridiculously shorthanded. Leafs lose tonight. Is it going to be fun doing shows next week?
3: Yes. And I believe we are back together next week. So we will have plenty of fodder. Yes. I believe if the Leafs manage to lose again tonight on the back end of a back to back against a very broken Pittsburgh Penguin squad.
2: Yeah. Um, should be fun. Uh, Leafs Nation post game after the Raptors and Mavericks right here on SportsNet590 The Fan. This has been fun. How about we do this next Saturday?
3: Yeah. Let's do that.
2: Yeah, let's do that. A big thanks to producer Kyle Norris, technical director Derek Brandeo. And thanks to you for all your texts today as well. Sorry to those who we couldn't get to. That's it for us. We'll talk to you next Saturday. I'll be back tomorrow for some Inside the Lines. Talk to you then. Bye.